Cinema Oddities, Late Night Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic Swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinema Oddities, before we dive into Terminator 2, continuing our Terminator series... I think Zach and I just wanted to mention a quick addendum to last week's episode. We completely uh, missed discussing the concept of retroactive abortion. Is that where we want to start today, Zach? <laughs> of course, Rob. Like any sort of good Terminator 2 discussion, we have to retroactively talk about retroactive abortion. Yeah. Oh, even better. So, yes, I think it comes in the scene when um, uh, Kyle Reese is is captured by the police and he's talking to Dr. Silberman. And it's like, they sent the Terminator back to kill John Connor's mother and stop him from ever being born. And what one of the detectives is like, what is this some type of retroactive abortion? <laughs> and I guess I, I think guess it's, it's Dr. Silverman. Oh, OK, OK. Um, so that's not the way I think we usually think about retroactive abortion. Like, I, I get where they're coming from. But right. Don't we usually think about it? Zach is like you have until 18 years old to kill to, to abort the child. <laughs> Yes, like back in like God, one of the first instances of Rob and I rubbing shoulders in high school, there was the notion of like if abortion's legal, then why not just bring it up to the fullest extent? Like until your kid turns eighteen, be like, yo, like your kid doesn't take out the garbage one day, you threaten him with abortion. Like you know what? Yep. Or else. <laughs> so I think maybe this one, this movie, Terminator Two, is closer to the, our, our concept of retroactive abortion. The the first Terminator movie with the with the Terminator going back to kill the mother that's more like pre retroactive abortion right <laughs> yeah something like that it's like matricide almost yeah because you're trying to kill John Connor in the future by killing his mother in the past so you technically are aborting him but it's not by killing him it's by killing his mother yes. oh okay so maybe it's a good thing maybe it's a bad thing I think that's what we'll discuss about but this movie I don't think has anywhere near the uh, the level of complexity in the time travel that we discussed in the first one is that safe to say, Zach? Yeah, this is this is a much more straightforward action film than the Terminator is. Yes, yeah, I uh, I know. Last week we said it. Um, I'd only seen the original Terminator maybe once or twice. Terminator Two, I watched a bunch when I was a kid. I remember catching it on TV on like TNT stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure I mentioned it was so long ago that I didn't really remember a lot about the movie. And when I watched it again last night for this recording, I did watch the director's cut, which seems to be one of the director's cuts I have that exists in this timeline. Um, so Zach knows about it. And I basically all my notes kind of get summed up into one thing. And it's basically disappointment <laughs> because uh oh, I remembered the premise of this movie. You know, the whole now there's a, Arnold's good in this one. He's a reprogrammed Terminator. Got to stop uh, Robert Patrick, the liquid Terminator. They're in a different timeline. John Connor's a kid now. I remember the premise. I didn't have, you know, I was kind of excited going into it. The movie starts almost the same way as the first one with the two people coming back in time. And then I just kind of realized that the whole two and a half hours is about to play out like a bad soap opera. And that's what a lot of this felt like to me. Like a lot of this, I was like, oh my God, can I skip this stuff? Like, John Connor is a kid trying to teach Arnold Schwarzenegger to be more human. And he's like, Arnold's like, why tell me? Why do you cry? You mean humans? Yes. Why do humans cry? I was like, <laughs> please, God, 
please, <laughs> please, I, I could not stand a lot of this movie. There was a lot of stuff I loved, and I think we'll get into it. But overall, I just wanted to skip so much of the cringiness of it. I thought it was... I, get, I mean, I get it now. I understand why my parents let me watch this one a lot more than they did the first one. But I, I just did not get into it uh, at all. Is that kind of where your uh, feelings stem from this one? Or or is it something different, Zach? I know you were saving your context for this week. Oh, there's an insane level of context this episode, folks. <laughs> but uh, that's part of the reason why we're also skipping Terminator 2 3D as well. Uh, no, to answer your question, I, I sensed a lot of that this time while watching it. Mm-hmm. That I hadn't really picked up on in previous viewings, and yeah, some it's it's James Cameron human dialogue. Yeah, it's like Titanic of uh, Billy Zane being like, oh, "Who's the author again?" Pablo, somebody. Yeah, it's I think like, so. Yeah, yeah, it's that level. Of just like, oh man, Jimmy C's like elbowing the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. it, it's like it's like the first step toward like people like J.J. Abrams and Brett Ratner, where it's just like we're just give the most bare bones, like just slip and slide level, just drag the audience from like point A to B on the emotional uh, slide. And don't me wrong, it worked a lot when I was younger. Like this, yeah. like yeah, I, good lord, folks! If there ever was a movie for me growing up that didn't have the word "star" and "wars" in the title, that I just like worshipped, it mm-hmm. was this. This was just like this fundamentally rocked my world to its absolute core. Um, this was kind of like again, you had like Titanic was really my first big movie. And then you have Star Wars, and then around like a year and a half later, you have Terminator. And I think I told part of the story in the 18s episode, but based on the downloads, many most of you have not checked out that episode. <laughs> and so what happened was while I was going to Universal Studios to see the 18s on Slime Time Live, my mother, the hero that she is and was, she sat there, waited online, but because of where the line was to get tickets to Slime Time Live, my father and I really couldn't venture that far because the concern was like, oh, when they start like giving out tickets, can you just ask for like a certain amount or mm-hmm. do they require your entire party to be there? So it was like, okay, what can we do so like we can go like ride a ride? And come back and it's not like like walking like 30 minutes to the other side of the park Spend like an hour online and like walk in half an hour back And it was like oh Terminator's right there And I had no idea I didn't know what the hell Terminator was And my father's like whatever we're just gonna do it because it's close So we did it And uh, I don't remember much from that But I know I loved it Like all yep. I, I don't have, I have no memory of that initial uh, That initial viewing of it But I apparently loved it to the point where, like, the second movie was the one that, like, my father, and I think I've mentioned it a few times on here, had his, like, giant collection of VHS movies that he had taped off, like, one summer when he had free HBO, and that was in there. And he's like, here, watch this, it's Terminator 2. And I absolutely just fell in love with it. I was just, like, mesmerized. Like, I wanted the sunglasses. I like, my, they, my parents bought me, like, a... Um, like a toy, like, oh God, like it's like a hunting rifle. It was a toy. Like, I had a little orange thing and mm-hmm. you cocked it back. It made like a popping sound, like the definition of like a toy in capital T O Y. Yeah. And, but it was like, the closest thing to having Arnold Schwarzenegger's like rifle he has in this, that he's able to like flip around with one arm and uh, cock it. Yep. And I mean, like I was just over the moon. Like it started like a never ending love of Schwarzenegger for me, like to the point where I think the same time that happened was when the sixth day came out. I saw that in theaters and fell in love with it. Like I fell in love with everything Schwarzenegger did that I was able to get my hands on. Like I loved Commando. 
like every again, the total recall can become later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I absolutely fell in love with Schwarzenegger. Like and to this day, like he's he's a wonky ass person. Like you see him do things now, <laughs> but he still is like like I see him like he'll be interviewed for something, and I, I think even like a couple months ago he was in the news because he was like some like bodylifting convention or something, and some guy like oh god did like a a cheap shot and like drop kicked him in like in the neck from the back. Oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> you remember yeah. that right? And he like, like and there's like multiple like videos of it from like different angles. And like even at like sixty something years old, or I, he might even be seventy now. I'm not entirely sure. Like he takes it like a champ. Like he gets like drop kicked, like suckered, like sucker kicked to the back of the neck, and it's like nothing. He just slightly just like leans forward and that's it. Yeah, like, I, he, I remember when I saw the video. It's like uh, I didn't. I don't think I only saw one angle, but the guy. Like drop kicks him, and the dude goes down because he did this. He did this <laughs> yeah. kick, but and Arnold's just like you know slaps the back of his neck like a mosquito was on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much like a bug yeah. bite, more or less. Um, yeah, like he's like I love him to death. Like even like some of his like infidelity stuff that like's happened in the last like ten years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I still love him. He's great. Like even some of his newer things, like oh, the last stand wasn't too good, but he was great. A sab- uh, sabotage, I think it's called. Which is the, directed by David Ayer, who did Suicide Squad and oh. other stuff. Um, that movie's great. It's really weird and it's like insanely dark, but it's great. Um, yeah, I love Schwarzenegger. I'll always have a soft spot for him. Right on. And uh, but no, that's kind of like the Terminator story. Like in a nutshell, there'll be other things we'll get into the more we talk about Terminator Two because that's the movie that like everything else spread from. Because yeah. it's, we'll get more toward the Terminator Three side of the story when we talk about that next week. And there's definitely like a component of this that plays. This was one of those movies. This was like my version of where you had my nephew in the Amanda show thing. Mm-hmm. And he brought that more or less to me. I brought this to him. And he got just as engrossed in the Terminator thing as I did. Because even like later on, like, God, I think it was like for 2003, his family got me an annual pass to Universal Studios Orlando. Oh, nice. And this was always like the thing we always did first. We always did the Terminator ride first. Right on. That that was the first thing. And that was always like one of the greatest things ever. Like, oh this is this is like because I even tell again I remember I remember even though I can't remember this very like the first um time I ever won it though. I remember every single element of it. Like like if it were like I just wrote, went on it yesterday. It was just oh God, there's so many cool things in that ride. Um nowadays they're Okay, I think it closed a couple of years ago at uh, Florida. It closed uh, at Hollywood, like God, like ten years ago. Um, but no, it's just one of those things that was just like Terminator's always been a part of my life. Um, my life has more or less stopped every single time one of these movies has come out, and this is the movie that's the foundation for not just that, but also doing the series. We wouldn't be here right now if it weren't for Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like uh, we said. That's the one. That got hooked me hooked with it, uh, and how I know so much about it. I guess I should say that, um, you know, comparing this to what happened to us with the Amanda show, where it was something we hadn't seen forever, went back and watched, and it was almost impossible to sit through. This was definitely not that bad. It was just more I was disappointed by the, like we said, the the Jimmy C level of dialogue and 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 what he has. I think what I think of Jimmy C as now, this movie definitely has more of than the first one did, which was almost refreshing to see. Yeah, because there's a lot of this movie. Because again, I, I by, I'm by no means negative on this movie. Um, I felt like I, I, there's a thing with me with movies, like just myself, is that like if I'm too familiar with a movie, if I've rewatched it, or if I remember too much of it, and I rewatch it, I'm almost bored through it because I know mm-hmm. every single beat. 
Yep. And I'm not just saying that like, oh, like when we went to go see Avengers Endgame twice, it wasn't like, oh, I'm bored the second time because I just saw it. It's like, no, it's still a novel thing. Like I, I, it, I'm still experiencing it, even if it's the second time I'm watching it. Whereas with Terminator, like we already said, like I've watched this like dozens of times. I know every single plot beat. I know every single shot. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I've been here, done this, and enough time hasn't passed since the last time I've watched it for me to go into it kind of like doe eye to be like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever because that happened a couple of times in this where like I'm watching it and you kind of just have to admire the sheer, just like spectacle aspect of this and just how everything comes together. Mm -hmm. But there's a point in this movie. I wonder if it happened for you. I'm basing and basing it off the comments you've already said. There's the part that after they escape the mental or the, uh, the, the, uh, what do you want to call it? The mental hospital. Yeah, the in- some type of institution, yeah. Yeah. Up until when they break they have to escape Cyberdyne. The movie kind of co- the movie doesn't know what to do with itself. Like things are happening, but they're just kind of there to connect the plot to its conclusion. Yeah, I w- I would agree with that. There was definitely points where I was sitting through this um and you know, they were getting really into that, you know, family humanity aspect between the Terminators, John Connor and Sarah Connor with the whole father figure thing. They're at that. Uh, they're, they're at like the stockpile of guns Sarah Connor has somewhere in Mexico or down south of the United States. I'm not sure. And the whole time it's just like dragging along and and she's having her visions about the world blowing up. And I'm like, Where's the bad Terminator during all of this? Like, what? Yeah. Like, what is going on right now in this movie? Like, this could be totally cut out because a lot of that is, you know, John Connor just talking to himself. Basically, this is where I grew up. Uh, my mom always made us do a bunch of gun stuff and computer stuff, and I thought all kids were like that. But then she tried to blow up a computer company, and I went to a regular school. And I'm like, I gathered all of this from everything else. You didn't need to tell me. Yeah, but I wonder how much of that. Is us being so familiar with this, where we're kind of looking at yeah. it being like, oh, we know this already, like streamline, streamline. That, that's absolutely a good point. And I was definitely thinking about that. You know, how much of this is, it, it's almost uh, as disappointing in and of itself that we can't see these movies cold. You know, it's kind of like, I wish I could have seen The Terminator without knowing anything else. I think I said it to Zach before, like, I, I love Rogue One, but how cool would it be to see Rogue One and not know what the Death Star is and not know who Darth Vader is? We do have that kind of, you know, knowledge, and that certainly has to play some role and bias in our opinions. Yeah, and I think that's another reason why, like, what we just, what you said about Terminator 2, I think that's also why the latter three films have such a negative reception, is that mm-hmm. people just cannot get this movie out of their head. Like, when, like, when you say Terminator... They they go immediately to this movie, not the first one, and it's just yeah. okay. It's kind of like a security blanket. Yeah, and yeah. If you do anything different with that franchise, they're going to point to this and say, "Uh, uh, uh, this is perfection. You can't change it." And I think, and again, I, I by no means I would I'm not arrogant enough to think that like, oh, how would I change this movie? Mm-hmm. Except for one thing. There's one thing that this movie's missing that I'm surprised Jimmy C either overlooked. Or he thought about it and he couldn't figure out how to do it at the time. Okay, but we'll, but we'll get to that in a moment when like with the comes to your thing with the T one thousand and what he's doing for a nice portion of this movie. But the reason why I think you do have all like the movie does slow down a lot after they escape the mental hospital is that you do need that character aspect. You got to put a little bit more weight to this other than just like oh we're we're trying to stop the future. 
Mm-hmm. And the only thing I have to say is that he could have done that a little differently because after that happens, there's n- the plot, everything's set up in the first, like, at that point, God, 45 minutes of the movie, hour, has already been accomplished. Yeah, it's like yeah. Terminator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has encountered John Connor and is now his protection. Two, we've established, or we've got, uh, John Connor now knows the world. We've checked that off the list. Mm-hmm. We have to get Sarah Connor out of the mental hospital. Check. And at that point, all the goals that the movie has set up for us have been checked off. Because yes. there's nothing in the first hour of the movie that says, oh, we can prevent Skynet from happening. Yeah, it's, it's not just until- a little tease where they sh- there's like one scene of Miles Dyson looking at the arm or very early on. But then we never see him again until yeah. they go to him. Yeah, and not even that though. Like that's there for the audience. That's not there for the characters. Definitely. Like there should be a, there should be a scene very early on in this. And like yes, they did establish that she did try blowing up Cyberdyne. Very, like, like that's why she's there. And John Connor says it though. But there need to be something there. Like maybe I don't want to say a flashback, or maybe the day that she gets arrested, or something like that. Being like John, like this is my. It's like we have to stop. Like something to kind of be like this is the overall mm-hmm. point. Like of yeah. the franchise now It's like we have to stop Skynet Which is basically the rest of the movies yeah. The third one's about that The fourth one's about that The fifth one's about that And I would imagine the sixth one's about that to some capacity as well Okay, It's funny the first movie like we said last week And how you really had the insight of The first movie isn't about beating Cyberdyne or Skynet It's about give, uh, giving an opening It's about yes. an opening and that's it Yeah creating um, hope Creating hope for being able to not just prevent this, but to stop it after it's already happened or mm-hmm. mitigate the damage as best as possible after uh, world annihilation. Yes, they had, they had to stop the pre-retroactive abortion <laughs> so they could retroactively <laughs> abort this, this uh, machines in Skynet. <laughs> there we go. That was the tagline on the box originally. And somebody at the studio said, Jimmy, see, that's not going to work. We can't have three lines for a tagline. This is too many syllables. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, but like no, the, the two things. Uh, one scene I just want to point out very specifically because you uh, just highlighted it. Um, we see Miles Dyson very early in the film, or um, excuse me, rephrase that. Cyborg's dad, Cyborg Senior, yeah, <laughs> Cyborg Senior, and we see him. And there's a shot of him like uh, there's a guy with a soda can and a lollipop. And every time I look at that scene now, I'm like, that is an insane amount of sugar drinking a soda and sucking on a lollipop at the exact same time. Like that guy must have, must have some sort of diabetes or will get it if he doesn't already have it. (laughs) Um, but while that's happening and him, like miles Dyson and him are just spouting expository dialogue at each other. They're walking through the car or uh, miles Dyson is like walking through the complex. And after miles Dyson walks away from him, he goes to like, open up the chamber where they keep the arm in the the processor chip. Mm -hmm. And there's a point before he gets to like the door that has to be unlocked with both keys where he walks through a door and he holds the door open for the camera, the camera operator. I'm so glad you noticed that because I picked up on that. I was like, why is he holding the door open? (laughs) (laughs) I like, I've never noticed before. Like I said, I've seen this movie movie dozens of times and I'm like, why is this happening? Like you, like Jimmy C, you've gone down to the Titanic. You've gone down to the lowest yeah. part of the earth in the oceans. You couldn't get someone to tie fishing line to a door to hold it open <laughs> afterwards. Exactly. I'm like, yeah, with all I, this technology. That, that stood out to me so much. And, and it was weird to see it in here because it's like a lot of the other movies where I noticed that I always feel like I notice it. And I'm like, Maybe that was an intention intentional because of the way the movie is. Like I'm thinking of there's one scene in Freddy Got Fingered where like Rip Torn walks toward the camera and you can see him get out of the way and like walk around the cameraman as he's exiting the scene. 
but it's like, who knows if that was just intentional on either uh, Tom Green or Rip Torn's part. But I'm with you. Like, this, this, there's no way this could be intentional. This was just some weird, like, what made this the best take and had to be the one that was used? <laughs> and considering that, like, this is Jimmy C. He's the HMFIC. Yeah. Everything <laughs> is methodically planned out. So the fact that, like, they had to do that take so many times. There wasn't one take where they were like, maybe we should hold the, like, put, like, a spring mechanism that holds the door open. Yeah, or just have yeah, a door, or crazy. just have a or just have a door that just stays open once you open it. Yep. <laughs> like, come on, Jimmy. So I remember, like, when he was like promoting Avatar, like, God, ten years ago, he had he was on some like morning talk show, and he's like, oh, like the like, they asked him a question, like, oh, what, how are you going to like deal with the fans now that like like scrutinize like every detail? He's like, yeah, if there's like that one fan that like after they've seen the film like 30 times, you're like, oh, that one blade of grass only has four points on it as opposed to like three. That's the sort of criticism that like I can handle. And I'm like, God damn it, Jimmy. See, that's like like a computer technician that didn't do their job right. Yeah. This is a shot. Like somebody yeah. had to plan this. Like blades of grass are one thing. This was like a physical set that somebody had to build and they had to get your seal of approval on. It's like, God damn you, Jimmy C. Jimmy C's daughter, if you're out there, tell him we're ashamed of him. Like number <laughs> one is Avatar. We still haven't forgiven him for that. Never. And two, after that, we have the door from Terminator 2. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, oh, that scene fun. that scene brought me out of the movie to a point where I'm like, well, just you know what, might as well just throw the disc out the window now. I'll never okay, be able to unsee yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad you picked it up. I was gonna mention that as well, but yeah, that was something else when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, like I said, if it was any other filmmaker, you wouldn't mind because it's like, oh, it's like who cares? But it's Jimmy Goddamn C. Yeah. <laughs> he's a person that just berates actors, like berates everybody on set. And he couldn't see past. Like, I, I love to know, maybe if there's like a, oh God, a set designer or fabricator that's Ooh. like, ha ha, I finally got him I got, after yeah. all those years. Like, Snuck one by him. I just give me an obituary one day in Hollywood being like, I'm the guy that screwed over Jimmy C in Terminator 2. <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope that yeah, yeah. it's somebody's like grand scheme they've been planning for how many years. Like, there's some like set designer that like worked on Terminator that Jimmy C berated. And it's like, I'll get him back. I'll get you back one day, Jimmy C. Yeah, his um his epitaph is uh just says Terminator Two, and then it's a timestamp for that little bit of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, but uh, no, getting back to the whole thing about like where the T one thousand goes for a nice portion of this movie, because like he disappears, and next thing we know he has a motorcycle. Yes, that's, of like that's like, that's what happens. He disappears for like a half an hour, and it's like, oh, he he went to like a car dealership and bought a motorcycle, <laughs> or um he looted the police uh, supply lot, and. Like, because I was looking at that final battle between Arnold Schwarzenegger and the T-1000, and when you think about it, the T-1000 isn't really, like, I know, like, a lot of, like, top, like, heroes and villains list, like, you will see Robert Patrick's T-1000 listed. Mm -hmm. yep. It's not, like, it's not listed, like, top, like, 30. It's usually, like, toward the higher end, like, you're talking about, like, 70, 80, 90. Yeah. And I was looking at that, and he does, he does, a, like, considering that he has a very lofty act to live up to with Arnold Schwarzenegger from the previous film, mm -hmm. he does a great job. But the weird thing, though, is that, like, if it, like, he's really almost, like, a non-threat against arnold linda hamilton and edward furlong because we see him kind of like he's like he easily can dispose of people yeah as he does like very easily whether it be the step parents the the security guard in the mental uh hospital all those other like, he can he can deal with them pretty easily but with arnold like the very first skirmish they have they have is like in the hallway 
behind the like the department stores. Mm-hmm. And all he does is he throws Arnold through a glass like what through a wall and then a window. Yeah. And then like in the mental hospital, Arnold's able to repel him pretty easily. Yeah, they they have no issue getting away from him type of thing. Um, it's only till the end, that final battle where, you know, the, the T-1000 has like the, um, the, the I-beam or whatever, and he's slamming it into Arnold's head type of thing where it's like, oh, finally, you know, something's being done that's damaging. It's not just someone's getting thrown somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's like, whereas with the first Terminator that works because like, oh, all the characters are human. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the bad guy has an insane advantage and the heroes are at a massive disadvantage because they're fighting something that they really don't know. And the one guy who does know is severely under-equipped to yeah. handle it. And it's like, okay, great. You look at this, though, and sure, uh, uh, Jimmy C. describes like the difference between Arnold's T-800 versus the T-1000. Like, oh, the T-800 is a Panzer tank. The T-1000 is like a Porsche. Okay. And it's like, well, in a head-to-head battle, the Panzer tank will always win. Yeah. Like, yes, the T-1000 is much more sleek and able to adapt and probably wiggle its way out of a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the Panzer tank can basically take every punch you throw at it. Exactly. And so that's my only really genuine criticism of this movie, like, beyond the door, is there should have been a skirmish very early on in the film. Either the mental hospital... Or the the Galleria, where Arnold should have been really like beat up. Yeah, like, not not like so beat up to the point where like it's the end battle where he's kind of just like like where he says like I need a vacation, which might be one of the more jarring lines in this because it's just so weird that the Terminator would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we have to attribute that attribute that to the fact that like oh John John Connor has humanized him at that point. Yeah, and uh, but there should have been a scene. This is where I think it could have worked because you have this scene with John, uh, Cyborg's dad. Where John Connor hands him the knife and is like, show him when they're like, like uh, John Connor's, oh, god damn it, Cyborg's dad, I keep screwing that up, Cyborg's <laughs> dad and who, the, the DA from Law and Order? The, uh, no, she's the lieutenant. Lieutenant, damn Anita it. Van Buren, yep. <laughs> I, I almost had it, folks, I almost had the Law and Order reference. And when he tells, like, they're like, who are you people? And he's like, show him, and he like rips the skin off of his arm, and you have the Terminator arm. And it's like, oh, wouldn't that have been much clever? Because you obviously have to have that moment where the arm's exposed to show it to Cyborg's dad. Why not have that early in the film? That considering that the T-1000 has the ability to turn into all sorts of, like, knives and, like, sharp objects. Have it, like, Arnold goes to punch the T-1000. It, like, sucks on his arm and completely shreds not just the leather of the, the leather jacket, but shreds the sheer flesh off the arm. Oh, so that exposes the robot arm for later on. Yeah, and at the same time, it shows that, like, oh, crap. Even though Arnold is still, like, he's the Terminator, he's met his match. Yeah, yeah. Because as I was watching this, I was trying to, like, put myself into that headspace of, like, watching it for the first time. I tried doing that with a lot of movies on Cinemodies, especially the ones that, like, I have a deep background with. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I can't do that with Wonder Shows because I am experiencing it for the first time. (laughs) And it's the idea, like, oh, wouldn't that have been great? It serves two purposes. You don't just have him ripping his flesh off in Cyborg's dad's home. And at the same time, though, it builds stake. It's like, oh, so when they do encounter the T-1000 at the mental hospital, it's like, oh, crap, they better get out of there. Yeah, it's not just, you know, oh, we have 
Arnold as our barrier who can, you know, keep this dude back while we run away. It's actually like he can't get near any of us because even if he's near Arnold, while he's a Terminator, he can seriously mess him up. He's a better version of the Terminator. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hear you. Yep. And it's weird that, like, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more next week is that Terminator 3 understands this concept better than this film does oh, because okay. within the first like half an hour of the movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger encounters the female Terminator and he gets like, she takes out her little like arm cannon and just blows him across the entire like parking lot. And he's basically okay. at a commission for the next like X amount of minutes of that movie. And John Connor has to drive away in the car and outrun her for the next, that's where the whole chase happens. Um, gotcha. The car chase. Okay. And I'm like, it's funny. Everybody derides Terminator three, which I looked up for this conversation out of all the sequels the, or the non Jimmy C sequels yeah, still yeah. has the lowest rating on IMDb. Really? Lower than Genesis, wow. lower than Salvation. Terminator 3 has the lowest rating, which I find absolutely baffling considering that that film, and yes, is it, we'll get into it next week, is derivative of Terminator 2. It, it does a different twist on the story than terminator 2 does and that's why like i said last week like i still think terminator 3 is my favorite film of the entire franchise as of now who knows where that changes Mm -hmm. um coming down the line but no it's the idea that you need some level of stakes for the terminator very early in the film kind of like kyle reese when like sarah connor's biting his hand the first movie and he's like cyborgs don't feel pain i do it's yep. the idea that like I'm I'm not like him. Like I'm go- I, there's a very real possibility that I die during this. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you need. You need stakes. And who knows? Maybe he, again, Jimmy C is clever. Maybe he did have that. He decided against it because I guess it's just the whole notion is that uh um because I don't think he has a conversation against Arnold where he says like oh this one is more advanced than me. It's like yes, he's more advanced. But more like in a physical sense, not like in a combat sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never flesh that out. It's it's definitely like like we've been saying. The focus is more on that that character and humanity elements of it. Yeah, and I think that's that's my only like genuine complaint with this film is that there should be some level of stakes early on. That like you know what, if we are going to like spend most of the movie running away from him, which is what almost except for the the cyberdyne part is what the entire plot is just running away mm-hmm. it's the notion of like we need something to kind of just like bullshit up other than just like and i think that's why some of this action doesn't hold up beyond just like the nostalgia level is that like how would this like, there's a reason why like these dumb kids nowadays prefer my favorite term on the face of this earth marvel is that some of these things don't hold up Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like you do need like I think about every single movie made is building upon what the previous ones ahead of it did, and so you do need to sit there like build stakes. You can't have any sort of gap in the filmmaking process because if it does, like you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but still, I, I, with all that being said, this is a when it comes to an action adventure film, ne- like practically perfect. Yeah, I, I I think that's what I do like is the action stuff, but uh, nothing will nothing will ever make me care about Terminators asking humans why they cry. That's just dumb to me. The uh, I I know we'll have to get into some of the scenes because uh, Zach knows which scenes were and were not in the um, director's cut, which I watched, which I'm interested in because I think some of those scenes are the one the ones that included in the director's cut are the ones I disliked the most. Um, but I, I just wanted to ask, Zach, is it true, because I, I only saw this like just before when I was looking in, just before we started recording, we're we're pretty much, after seeing Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, 
we're we're pretty much ready for Terminator Six, isn't it? The case that yeah, like, it, like, yeah. it's disregarding three through five. Every Terminator sequel takes place after Terminator Two. There's not one <laughs> film. Well, okay, so they're Termin- all they're all like three A, three B, three C. No, except for Salvation. Salvation does because you have the character of uh, Catherine Brewster introduced in the third movie. And she is brought over to the fourth movie, Salvation. Okay. So that's not maybe not true for the for Terminator Salvation. But I don't know. No, it's funny. Actually, now that you mention it, Terminator Salvation doesn't reference Terminator Two a lot. It reference obviously it references the first film, and obviously by having Catherine Brewster in there, it's it's referencing the third film, mm-hmm. but not a lot of the second film. Actually, now that I think about it. Salvation, might be the only one that doesn't directly like tie into the second movie. Okay. Okay. Three, three, five, and six all definitely play as if. They are the official continuation to the Terminator series. Okay. <laughs> Maybe after we see all of them, when, when we finish up Dark Fate, whenever that comes out, we'll be able to determine which is the true successor to Terminator 2. You know what the sad thing is? It's uh, I would imagine we're going to lean toward Terminator 3. Okay. Because, okay. because five, I don't think anybody's favorite Terminator film is 5. <laughs> and based on what we're hearing about 6, Lord help us. Oh, boy. All right. So where did you want to go from here, Zach? Uh, do, you, did you wanna... do you want to delve into, those, delve into the uh, the special edition that you had to watch? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I, I one, one scene definitely stood out to me, and I think I told Zach that I looked into it. It was only in the director's cut, and it's when we get uh, a kind of a dream sequence or a, a hallucination. Sarah Connor sees uh, Kyle Reese while she's in the institution. And Kyle Reese basically explains the entire plot to her. And so I was watching this and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I would have understood. I understood everything that he was telling me, like prior to him telling me this, because I think there's even before that scene happens, there's a like uh, Arnold already finds John Connor and you start to get the sense of that there's one's a protector, one's a, a someone who's trying to harm him. And, and there's all this weird like. Like Kyle Reese disappears and uh, Sarah Connor like does slow motion running after him. Mm-hmm. I was like, skip this, please skip this. So that was the only one that I uh, kind of, it was so weird and so jarring to me that like, even from the, the tone of this movie that I was just like, this is definitely not in the theatric cut. And it wasn't. Um, the other ones I didn't remember. So I didn't, uh, I, I'm thinking they're in the director's cut, but I'm not sure. That's why I wanted to ask Zach. One that stood out to me was near the end where the T-1000, like, he reforms from the uh, liquid nitrogen. Yeah, he reforms from that. And then everything he starts touching, he, like, starts turning into, and he can't control, like, his morphing powers. Was that in the theatrical cut of the movie? Um, Okay, this is the thing about that. And I'm going to answer Rob's question and get into my insane level of context around this as well. Okay, good. Because this, this, these scenes, I was like, what the hell is the point of this? Okay, what happened was uh, going back to your thing about the 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 T one thousand. It was, I think that sequence. I'm pretty sure in the theatrical cut or the non special edition, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. At the end, when um John Connor like hears his mother calling out for him, he hears the voice of Sarah Connor, and it's like John, help me, John, help me, and then like another Sarah Connor appears behind that one, mm. and he goes shoot. 
And again, she blows right blood through the T one thousand, imitating her. I think in the theatrical cut, there is a sh- like he look like uh, she comes out. The real Sarah Connor goes get out of the way, John. And he looks down and he sees that the feet have melded into the floor. Yeah, yeah. And that's the only like hint of it in the theatrical cut. And I remember when I was younger. Being like, again, it's cool. It's it's an easy tell, obviously. Yeah. When you see your mother and her feet are melted into the floor, clearly it's not her. Um, but <laughs> it's like, like when, Sky. It's like Sky Daly and Freaked when she has the hideous feet. That's how you tell her apart from uh, Randy Quaid, <laughs> Scugs. <laughs> what a story, and what an ending. Elijah transformed by the goop, and he actually looked like exactly like you, Sky. I swear, same face, same outfit, except he had these really big, hideous feet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drink your blood. Uh, but yeah, I, that's that's really the only thing. I think out of um all the other, it's funny on all the DVDs of this, they push this element hard. Okay, like in getting into my history with this was that like when I got my for I guess God okay this is this is another one of those stories where there's gonna be a million bleeps or people uh, forgive me. My nephew got a DVD player before me. I wanted a DVD player when I was younger for the longest time because I was always like in the summer of 2000. Uh, I had I was like a big DVD person. Maybe okay, summer 2000, maybe like summer of 2001. I forget which. Like I was a big movie person, and I always like I wanted to just cons- like as like any sort of kid and something they loved. I just wanted to consume as many movies as possible. And anytime they released a new movie, especially the early 2000s being the the birth of DVDs, everything got released on DVD first. And it took months, if not like a year, for it to eventually be released on VHS. Okay. So like I like I was starved for a DVD player. My nephew, considering that he was one of these people that like not people, he was one of these kids, and his parents, like anytime he stomped his feet. And boy, did he know how to whine. Oh, boy. If there anyone was ever, anybody ever knew how to whine, it was him. Basically, all he had to do was cry once, and they gave him everything he wanted. Okay. So he got a DVD player, like, months before me. And keep in mind, he was, like, maybe, like, seven, maybe eight when this happened. And, like, I'd go over to his house, and because his parents just bought him everything he wanted. He never got to like, – guys, to this day, I don't think he's ever heard the word no. And he had, like, all these DVDs. I remember the first time I ever saw what, like, chapter – Chapters were on a DVD and my mind was blown. I'm sure. like, oh my God, you don't have to like rewind. Like you can I think about like I know we, we talked about it a couple of times on here when it comes to like tangible media. Like if you want to go to a specific part of something, whether it be a record, cassette, VHS tape, you had to constantly keep fiddling with it until you got to the specific point that you wanted. There yep. wasn't like this digital thing now where you can go to like a specific part on a moment's notice. So I remember when he had like the Mummy Returns on DVD, and he, I'm like, oh, I really want to see that part. And he just pushed a button; and it was there. And my mind was like, oh my god, what the hell is this? <laughs> and because he always, and part of his thing too with me, I think I've mentioned it before on uh, previous episodes that like he always had to outdo me. He mm-hmm. always had to. He had to beat me. And considering that like his parents gave him everything he wanted, and I'm not saying my parents didn't give me what I was one. I was spoiled too, but it was much more like oh. You get things here and there. Like, oh, like when we go to Walmart, you get like a, a $2 toy. You don't get a $25 movie. It yeah. wasn't that leveled of, of just like, here you go. You get everything you want. So he had Terminator 2 on DVD, whereas I only had it on VHS. And a little bit more context to the story was that my father 
well, uh, he had, like I said, he had T T two on his like copied off ver- a recorded off version of TV, but he didn't have the first Terminator. And my father hated it, hated people, more specifically me, buying store bought movies. That drove him nuts. Okay, he that drove him nuts, and I'll never figure out exactly why. I guess he saw it as a waste of money, even though clearly what he had was not as good as a like a, an official version. Yeah. But, like, uh, he didn't have the first Terminator on VHS. So I was, quote-unquote, allowed to buy that. And I can still remember finding that at Walmart back in the day on VHS. I still have it somewhere. And But when it came to Terminator 2, I bought that on VHS. And he was furious. He's (laughs) like, why'd you buy this? This is a waste of money. We already have this movie. It was was bonkers, folks. It was part of this by weird, like, sort of, like, idiosyncratic relationship my father and i had what happened was my nephew had the dvd for the d uh for terminator 2 and he was watching it one day when we were over there i was watching it with him one of those dozens of times and it had like the kyle reese thing and i think he made a comment to me he's like oh kyle reese is in terminator 2 and i'm like because everything like i said everything between him and i was a contest yeah and i'm like no he's not he's like yes he is and he, again, he always would cry and just scream over everything. It was it was funny. Like you had to walk on eggshells anytime you were around him. Sure. And, and I'm like, he, no, he's not. Like I have the movie. He's like, he's on my version. And he like popped out the DVD, and there he was. And like I remember going home that day and being so like jealous. I'm like, there's a whole other version of this movie I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like this is like my favorite movie of all time. And like I, there's a version of it I don't have. And I think this also goes to the compulsion I have, where I have to buy everything on Blu-ray and DVD. I, like everything comes from like this this time point in my life. And so for my tenth birthday, the only thing I wanted is I wanted a DVD player. I wanted a DVD player so bad, as for all the aforementioned reasons. And the first two DVDs I ever got. And for some reason, my father expl- exp- like marked them on the presents. He actually wrote number one. And number two on the physical wrapping paper. The, <laughs> okay. Which I'll never understand why he did that. And the weird thing was, I opened the number two one first. And he got okay. so mad at that for some reason. <laughs> because his entire plan of me opening the first one didn't work out. Um, again, I don't know who marks birthday presents with, with numbers to either or open them. I don't think it's ever been done before. <laughs> um, but I opened the number two one first. And it was Terminator 2. Nice. It was the DVD, I, and I was just like, I was ecstatic. And um, then after that, because I got some birthday money at that point too, the next DVD I would buy was Clockstoppers, which, as we referenced last week, is a masterpiece. Yep. <laughs> and we will get, we will get to it at some point. Definitely. And the fourth DVD I ever bought was the Terminator. Right on, right on. So it all, see, this, this is part of the context. It's going to take more up the discussion of the film. I'm so narcissistic. I'm going to make that the episode. This is, it's just a, a nostalgia road trip. So, like, I always wanted to see the special edition of Terminator. It was just like one of those things. Like, I have to see this. Yeah. And um, it's funny on the D. Like, in preparation for this recording, I I guess I should point out I have my dad's bootleg of Terminator Two, the store bought VHS copy, the birthday copy of Terminator Two. On DVD, then I had to buy another copy on DVD because the movie stopped working on DVD. <laughs> so I had to buy another copy on DVD, and then a few years later, I had to buy another copy on Blu-ray because, <laughs> of course, yeah. I needed it on Blu-ray. Yeah. 
Um, so I have five copies of this movie. But in preparation for this, I went back and broke out the DVDs that in their bonus features. And it's weird. On the DVD, uh, it describes this version of, of the movie as Terminator 2 more than meets the eye. Okay. Which is really weird considering that that was the official tagline of Transformers. Oh. <laughs> and I'm amazed that nobody ever got sued. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like when you think of like, like when you hear the phrase more than meets the eye, I doubt you think of anything else but Transformers. Yeah, yeah. Transformers more than meets the eye. Yep. Yet somebody in the Terminator marketing department was like, let's call it this. <laughs> right on and the, clearly nobody ever had a problem with it because I, I don't know if it's still called that i think it i don't know if it's called director's cut that i've never heard any other official uh designation for this version of the mm -hmm. movie i know um on the blu-ray you can kind of like toggle between each version okay it, like like the menu starts up and be like oh select this for the the theatrical version select this one for the special edition or whatever mm -hmm. it is or the alternate version and uh, but to answer Rob's question, back in the day, I absolutely not that I love this, but I I want to see it so badly. And now I more or less outside of the T one thousand scene of him like like at the very end where he starts like blending into the like the arm railing, yeah. And he starts like blending, like he starts to go on the fritz. Um, I I really don't like anything else. Like that's why I told Rob, Rob's like, what version of this should I watch? And I'm like, I don't care as long as I don't have to watch a director's cut because it's <laughs> yeah. awful. Because I tried watching it a couple of times and I'm like, it just slows the movie down so badly. Mm -hmm. um, again, the Kyle Reese thing, you know, it's nice seeing Michael Bean back. It serves no purpose in the movie. It makes Sarah Connor look so weak. It gives her absolutely no motivation going into the movie. It's like, oh, she tried blowing up a building, but now that's failed. She's just given up. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, that's not Sarah Connor. And then, like, I, the only thing I do have to say is that I do love this scene with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he gives, like, the uh, the shit-eating grin. Oh, I, and uh, he's like, John Connor's like, you have to smile, you know, that type of thing? Yeah, like, that yeah. That, that one moment, because, again, Jimmy C is the king of uh, dragging in the dummies in the audience. <laughs> sure. And that sort of moment works. Like yes. in the context of the movie, and it's not it, it's not too jarring because think about this: the term he's told to smile, he sees a guy, he scientifically analyzes what a smile means, like how how you like the muscles would contort for that, and mm -hmm. he tries to emulate it without any context of the emotion behind it, and it's like oh, it works as as one scene. It's fine, but like yes. all like the scene of them like opening his head, taking out the microchip, her being like get out of the way, John. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it's like yeah, so move. It, it, it's just oh, her okay. screaming, and it's like it's like we need a mom. Get out of the way, John. Yeah, and, and in his like, very no. little kid annoying voice, he's like, "You're always telling me I'm gonna be a great military leader, so you should listen to me now." And she's like, <laughs> "I guess this kid's right." <laughs> <laughs> My ten year old kid is the future military leader right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now that's uh no those sort of scenes like no you can keep them. Uh, it's funny, there's a bunch of other deleted scenes in this movie that are deleted scenes that aren't in the final product. Okay. Did you have to see the scene with Miles, uh, god damn it, Cyborg's dad <laughs> and the lieutenant from Law and & Order, and she's like, are we going to the beach today? Did you see that scene? Oh yeah, that was in there. And she's yeah, like, that, why, do you even have, why do you even have a family? Your whole life is in there. And she points at the computers and stuff. 
It's a neural net processor. It thinks and learns like we do. It's superconducting at room temperature. Other computers are just pocket calculators by comparison. Yeah. But why is that so goddamn important, Miles? I really need to know, because sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy here. Maybe I am this close. Come here. Imagine a, a jet airliner with a pilot that never gets tired, never makes mistakes, never shows up to work with a hangover. Meet the pilot. Why did we get married, Miles? Why did we have these children? You don't need us. Your heart and your mind are in here. But it doesn't love you like we do. Yeah, that's a groaner. Oh, definitely, definitely. The, um, the majority of that scene, when it played out, was me writing the notes down about S. Epitha Merkerson in this movie. <laughs> I was just like, skip this. Let me, let me write some Law and Order down. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a painful sequence. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I hear you completely. And then it, he, at the end of it or something, he's just like, I guess you're right. And he just turns his computer monitor off. And it's like, <laughs> okay. But then the next time we see him, when Linda Hamilton goes to, oh, my favorite line in the movie, when Linda Hamilton goes to blow him away. Dyson. Yeah, gotta be. Miles Dyson. She's gonna blow him away. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go, let's go, come on. That uh, he's just back working. Yeah. You know, his family's like eating dinner or some shit or going to bed. And I'm like, well, yeah. then the, the whole previous scene was useless. The Miles Dyson thing, I, 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 I don't want to say he got writer's block, but there's very, a, it feels like he originally had in mind something else that happened between escaping the mental hospital to the final confrontation climax of the film. Mm -hmm. He had something else in mind there and didn't know what to do with it. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Because there is a, because as I was watching this, I was thinking like, oh, Dr. Silberman is interviewing her very early, or we're seeing the, uh, the tape recording of a previous, like, uh, not interview, but like, whatever you want to call it, uh, doctor's visit between Sarah Connor and Dr. Yeah, Silverman. some type of evaluation, yeah. Yeah, evaluation, thank you. And it's like, wait, how can they claim she's insane? There's like a robot arm sticking out of a mechanism, and there's a squished skull in a compressor. Yeah. I'm like, how can you call her insane? Like, I get, like, if she tries blowing up, like, a business, yeah, she should probably be locked up for that, mm -hmm. but you can't call her insane. And then, like, oh, like, there's a couple of things of dialogue about, like, oh, like, you don't, I think Dr. Silverman even said this, like, one line of dialogue, oh, so you don't think they're covering it up anymore? And I'm like, oh, so that's how they're explaining it. And then we have the whole thing again with Miles Dyson, it's like, don't ask where we got it from. And then, like, at the very end where, like, he had, like, they're at the, the dinner table, and she, something's like, oh, they, he said something like, oh, they never told us, to, like, to ask questions. And she's like, that's, I knew it, they covered it up. And I have to wonder... Maybe there was a whole nother portion of this film that not that like there's footage and he cut it out. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that maybe like yeah. when he was like writing script treatments or he was writing an actual like script that maybe had them confronting the bosses of Cyberdyne. Oh, okay. And I think that's the weird things that like, oh yes, they blow up all of Miles Dyson's research that I think about it at the end. Of, I think we talked about last week that there's a deleted scene of her getting put into the hospital or the, uh, the ambulance and the and camera shows, pans out uh, yeah. and, it's, and it says cyber dimes the name of the the industrial location 
And it's like, oh, so clearly he had this in mind even back in like the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And those same people, like, he doesn't say Michael Miles Dyson was there. He's the one that pulled the the metal arm out of the the thing. And think yeah. of all the, and think of all the different medical technicians that clearly saw this. They had to get her out of there. Somebody had to get her out of there. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's something like you know a scene where Miles Dyson is talking to the people that hired him because he, like you said, he's not the one who found this tech and and rolled with it and started this company. Someone has to be above him and have you know. The money, the funding, or, yeah. The money, the funding, have some safeguards to this because I know there is that one line where um, Miles Dyson, when they, he's talking to Sarah Connor or something, and it's like, oh, this, like when we found this arm and this chip, like we 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 just started to have all these technological advancements that we wouldn't have had otherwise, and that's just like immediately, okay, somebody else has to know about this and is protecting it in some way, and you're exactly right, it would be those higher ups at Cyberdyne. Yeah, and that's where I think it's so weird that like. Nobody, it's funny, everybody attacks Terminator 3 or basically any of the Terminator sequels. Like, no, the story ends after 2. And it's like, no, it really doesn't because, like, yes, it's the early, like, by the time the story's taking place, it's 1994 in the Terminator continuity. Mm -hmm. But even then, like, if you find a future robot arm, you're going to, like, take, like, do moldings of it and, like, build cast of it. Like, you're not just going to throw, like, lock it in a vault in the middle of, like, Oh God, Tech Valley or Silicon yep. or whatever Silicon Valley was at that time, and then just walk away from it. Like you're gonna sit there have backups of that. Something if there ever was a fire, it's like I I don't get that, and that's why like again with Term- Terminator Three is like a big part of that too, where it's like John Connor turns around, it's like we blew up Cyberdyne, and I think Arnold Schwarzenegger's like there are backups. Mm-hmm. It's like like it's like the government took over at that point. The government took over because they realized it it got the government's attention. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. And they picked up where the other ones left off. Like, think about it. They blew up the research, though, but you still have all those engineers. It's not like all their thought process got destroyed as well. Yep, 100%. That's why I think it's so weird that, like, not just, like, again, I'm not attacking Jimmy C, because he was making a movie. Like, you only, you, you, it's not like nowadays, like, where you make Avengers Endgame, you have to think, like, 30 movies out. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But to the nerds out there, they're just so unforgiving of any sort of continuation in the saga. It's like... Like there is, I think, and even like again, I watched all the bonus features in preparation for this, and I know a lot of the nerds like point to the thing that's like, oh, no fate, but what we create for ourselves. And Jimmy C even says in like one of the behind the scenes interview, he's like, yeah, if like if you're proactive, you can stop Skynet and Cyberdyne, but mm-hmm. like if you're not always proactive, it can always go the other way. Exactly. Like the fu- and he even says the, the future is always like liquid. Like there's no set future. That's the whole thing. Is that for the same reason why you can stop Skynet doesn't mean that they can't they something can't happen and puts them right back into the uh, the timeline. Yep, a hundred percent. Yeah. And yet there, like I said, there's all these stupid nerds out there that are just that just refuse to accept that. It's like no, they stop they stop Cyberdyne. And it's like no, it's kind of like we talked about like last week with like things. It's like none of this will ever stop. It's like it's like they're never going to stop making the only thing that can ever stop these things is a lack of audience interest. Yes, yeah. The story just with I think with this or any franchise, once something is going to be able to haul in money like Terminator does or any like we said any franchise, any series, the story's always going to be written like you're trying to fit a carpet that's too big for a room. As soon as you push one corner down, the other corners pop up. There will always be somewhere for them to go. Yeah, there's always there's always a back door. Exactly. But um, yeah, no, that that's kind of thing. Those, I, I, it seems like he had another story in mind. Okay. It, it, it'd be, I'd say it's mostly the the second act with a portion of the third act because obviously Cyberdyne, uh, them blowing up Cyberdyne's the first half of the third act. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, no, it just feels like that. Because it feels like, yeah, it, it, I get it. The movie has to slow down at that point. Because at that point, you've gone from Terminator fights to the mental institution and all that, that. And then you have your climax at the end. So you do need a point where the movie kind of just like gives the audience a chance to breathe. You don't want that like man yeah. of steel thing where it's just like, oh my God, like enough. Like, again, I'm hyperventilating at this point, just trying to catch my breath. You can't, yeah. You, again, the J.J. Abrams model is unsustainable. You do need to slow down. And I get that. And I do get that. Like the whole thing of like, oh, Sarah Connor. But it's like, oh, she has a vision of the world ending. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm going to murder Miles Dyson. Yeah, I didn't get that made. No, that whole scene was really weird to me. And then when she gets there and she's like, oh, it's all your fault. Then she just like cries and falls down. Well, yeah, again, I get it because it's like, oh, she realizes that she's no better than what uh, the Terminator. She's become a killing machine just like everything else is. She's lost her humanity. Yeah, yeah, I, I, get, yeah I, I get, I get that, but I, I, it was like the, 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 it that being the connective tissue for her to realize that it was very much, I think, like we've been saying, it's just like, oh, we needed some way to connect this, get this per, uh, Miles Dyson into the plot type of thing. Yeah, which is again, I get it because you do need. I don't know why he felt it was necessary to have him go in there. Why they can't just go into Skynet and blow up the building? Yeah, um, I guess it's the whole idea, like, oh, there'd be security procedures. Or maybe, because again, I can't think, you have the Terminator, why can't, I think about Miles Dyson, pretty early gets neutered, because his security card stops working. Mm-hmm, exactly. So like, so like, why do you, and plus, it's not even like they get him into the, like, he gets them into the building. Yeah. Even that would make sense, we're like, oh, they get him into the building, one of the security guards, like, says, oh my god, that's the guy on the news, from the, from the mall, from the police shooting ten years mm-hmm. ago. Like, that, at least I would get, though, but like, they have to use force to even get past the front desk. Literally, yeah. yep. And it's like, why do you need Miles Dyson? Like, it even makes sense that, like, um, like you even hinted at, like, oh, like you have the thing with his kids. Like, the uh, the lieutenant from Law and Order comes in. It's like, oh, you gotta stop being a workaholic, Miles Dyson. Then you have like Sarah Connor, like, like is about to shoot him. Then we see this thing because even like later in that scene at the dinner table, where he starts getting excited again. He's like, it was showing us things we've never seen before, things that we never even thought were possible. Mm-hmm. And he starts to get excited until Sarah Connor glares at him. And he kind of just like sinks a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It would make it be a little bit more interesting that maybe in the final battle, I'm sorry, in the Cyberdyne battle, that he escapes. Oh, and he, and sure. maybe he, and maybe he does have this thirst for. Not to say there's like a a human king behind Skynet, I'm not saying that, but maybe he is this kind of like, uh, I don't want to say malevolent force, but just this kind of like megalomaniacal force, that's the correct term. I think that would have been way cooler, yeah. That's what I mean though, but I think, again, did Jimmy C have that in mind? Maybe. And he had to like, again, I'd love to see how many different drafts of this were that he had for this movie, Um. But that's why I mean, though, and that'd be a great kind of like juxtaposition of Sarah Connor, where like you got both of these kind of like this like huge like personas, and one learns how to kind of like pull back from it and not lose sense of their humanity, whereas the other one just delves full fledged into like I know what my creation's going to do, and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird. yeah. And it's weird that because Miles Dyson is in Terminator Genesis. Oh, is he really? Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his son, not cyborg, is also in it. Uh, it's it's weird. Terminator. Gen- like, when we get to Terminator Genesis, there's gonna be a lot of head scratching here. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, like that, and that's what it turns into. Is that the, like the Dyson family and Genesis turns into like I don't want to say a complete megalomaniacal family because they don't know what they're doing in the sense of like they don't know what the future entails. Mm-hmm. But it's the notion of like that would have been a little bit more compelling. 
But at the same time, though, like Jimmy C does not make compelling narratives. Like, in the, yeah. let, me, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase that. Complex narratives. Yeah. He keeps it simple, which obviously we cannot argue with, considering his track record. Definitely. But uh, it's no, not it, what we're always looking for. Yeah. Yeah. But no, like, I can't argue. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger is fabulous in this. Um, he, he's able to, like we said last week, he's able to reinvent. One of the greatest villains of all time into one of the greatest heroes of all time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is which is a feat to this day has never been duplicated. Yeah, yeah, right. and that's where and that's what I think is interesting. It's like it, or I find fascinating. It's like that that even though we point to it a lot, we never really analyze the notion of taking the one of the greatest villains and transforming him into a hero for the ages. Yeah, yeah, we definitely that's definitely a, you know, a big part of this movie. I'm I'm thinking about the Miles Dyson thing now that you brought up and that would have been really interesting cuz and it's almost I, I'm agreeing with you in the fact that maybe there was something else there because I I felt on this rewatch that the way that Miles Dyson dies, I guess who knows if he really dies if he's coming back whatever, but <laughs> like they 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 set him up so that like, you know, they he, he's like just holding the 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 weight or the power drill like right above the trigger or the detonator. Yeah. And, yeah. and like the cops, like the cops go to him and the cops are right next to him, basically. And he's like, I don't know how much longer I can hold this. And I love what, you know, uh, Joe Morton's doing. He's doing the <gasps> like that, like the death grunts, yeah. like drawn out. Yeah. Like it's he's really good. Yeah. But but the thing the thing that I think of is like, like the cop is within like the cop can touch Miles Dyson, just push his arm to the right. Like the only the only thing that's gonna make the bomb go off if, if his arm falls. So push his arm a little bit away from the detonator and it wouldn't go off. Like I get that the Miles Dyson is like he says, I don't know how much longer I can hold it, because I don't think he wants the police to die. He just wants the research to get blown up. But it's just so it was it's so stupid to me, because I'm just like, they just it's like one tap and they're and the building doesn't blow up, but they just let it blow up. I'm of course, I'm sure there's police and SWAT team and bomb squad protocol where they have to as like you know, leave the building or something. But I was just looking at that, and I'm like, just, just one finger, like one little push, and nothing blows up. That's so yeah, I've, maybe I've, there was something there. Yeah, I've always wondered about that specific like sequence. And like you said, yes, it seems like how it is. But if you look at very earlier in the film, not very uh, earlier in the film, mm-hmm. when they he asks and he goes, "How are we going to detonate all this?" And Schwarzenegger hands him the detonator. He's like, "With remote." And I think that's a problem either with editing or framing of that of that particular shot or scene. Okay, because like they, didn't, right. they didn't block it right, so we can't yeah. see. Or they, there's something in there that we can't see that probably adds I, the depth of why it would be more difficult to stop it. Sure, exactly. Because I think because he shows him the detonator, and I think what it's supposed to be is the detonator, and maybe it's one of those things that didn't work like with test audiences or something that was done for a pickup to make it more, uh, to communicate it much easier to the dummies in the audience. Mm. Because think about it. like How many people understand the notion of like a dead, dead man switch? Yeah, true. And that's the thing, though. Is, like, how do you show that, like, oh, the moment he lets go of it, that like, oh, it's going to blow up. How do you, show, how do you communicate that visually? Because if he's like, let's take out the little like switch that his his hands just hovering above. Because mm-hmm. like you said, even if he didn't want to blow that up, like he's about to die, and I would imagine that his thing is not to die. It's it's the whole idea of I don't know. Cause he doesn't go in there with a suicide like like a death wish. Yeah, he goes in there just to help him blow the stuff up. Yeah, yeah, and 
that's the weird thing too is that like it, the, the Miles Dyson thing doesn't make sense because what he like okay and obviously this isn't the movie that it's intended to be but let's just play within the logic of the movie for a second mm-hmm. and be like okay Miles Dyson helps them into Cyberdyne let's say the security guard is really awful that day and lets them in sure. they go in they set up all the bombs do they proceed to then evacuate the building of all security so they don't kill any like innocent security guards or do they just blow up the whole building being like bystanders be damned? Mm, I would think that they would try and do some evacuation just in the logic of the movie with the whole John Connor, like don't kill anybody motif. Okay, fine. And then what happens when the police and the FBI go in to investigate this and they interview the security guard that was on duty. He was like, Oh, you know, the guy who's like our top engineer, I let him into the building that night, like hours <laughs> before this happened. Yeah. So like yeah. was miles Dyson to go on the run along with, Arnold and the Connors and bring the the whole Dyson family where the entire family would be on the run. Oh geez. Yeah. That's an interesting question. That's what I mean. It's yeah. Like, would, would, would that have happened where the Dysons would have been on the run? Cause clearly he would have been pursued by the government and, he, and you would imagine they'd eventually track him down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at that point you would imagine that like, okay, let's assume that happens. Like would the, like would, Arnold and the Connors still have to obviously they still have to fate the T one thousand. And I know this is the whole thing with time travel movies, and we can't spend too much time on this though. So, okay, they blow up Cyberdyne. Does that mean Arnold and the T one thousand just disappear? They do a, a Marty McFly and they just oh, dissipate. Yeah. Yep. That's what I mean. So like if that happens, that means Kyle Reese is never sent back in time, which means John Connor can never exist, which means everything would go back to the way it happened, which means that Kyle Reese would have to be sent. Like that's where again, you can't again, time travel is a plot device. It's mm-hmm. not meant to be mm-hmm. the like the the fabric to the entire plot and narrative of the entire film. But it's the whole idea that like, oh, None of this makes like that's the thing about and not to bring this back to my favorite punching bag of all time, <laughs> Avengers Endgame. Yeah, but yep. like time travel is such a horrible plot device. Yeah, unless yeah. you're going to make it like blatantly simple, or you're willing to just like ignore it, like Back to the Future does. You can't. You should never use time travel as a plot device. Okay. okay. Because the moment you introduce it into any narrative, it throws the. It may, nothing can ever makes nothing. Yes. Nothing ever yeah. has to make sense again. Because the moment you introduce it, you can just anything that doesn't make sense, you can just attribute it to that and be like, doesn't matter. Don't think about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's because a, that's it's an easy out. Yep. Yeah. Because that's again going back to the thing of Dyson. It's like, why do they need him? It's like the moment he gets into the building, he has no role. He doesn't yeah. get them in anywhere. He doesn't point them toward anything. Like there's even one deleted scene. I'm not sure if you had it in your cut where like Arnold has like an ax and he's like stabbing servers and Miles Dyson goes up to him and he's like, Hey, can I borrow that? Yeah, and that was a, in, in my oh, version. And Miles Dyson is like, I've worked on this thing for years and then fucking destroys it. And what it is, it's just a like large, oh God, model of the CPU chip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a model. By destroying yeah. it, it has no impact. <laughs> like the bombs, like the, the whatever chemicals they have, they're going to incinerate that. You I get it. It's supposed to be symbolic. I'm not attacking it on that level. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what are you doing? It's like all you all they should be doing is bringing in the canisters, putting them in strategic positions along the belt, like that floor, yep. so it just vaporizes everything. 
and yeah, that's done, it. done and done. Yeah. And that's the question too. Is that like John, like they all, like, okay. Once like John Connor's like, Oh, I can break open this lock where the other key is. <laughs> and as a, and, I, and folks, I love this movie to death. I'm not attacking it. I, I'm attacking it. Cause it's fun. It's just fun to use something as a punching bag. I love this movie to death. Go watch it. I think Rob would recommend not, maybe not as a late night movie, but I think even Rob would recommend watching the theatrical cut of this. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a, a hallmark of, of yeah. cinema. Definitely. We, this gets our recommendation, maybe not a late night movie recommendation, but it gets our just, you know what? On Sunday at 2 PM, if it's on, TNT or TBS, <laughs> check it out. Um, but he, uh, Miles Dyson's like, oh, my key card might still work for this. It doesn't work. And John Connor goes, oh, I can do this. And I go, you have a Terminator. Have him rip the door <laughs> off of yeah, it. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, you could definitely just pop this open, right? <laughs> exactly. And then you have the point where it's like he tries to get into like the floor where the door, like where the like the lab is. And he's like, oh, we have to abort. We have to leave. And Arnold's like, I can do this. And he takes out his grenade launcher. Yep. And I'm like, why are you using a grenade launcher? Like, you're going to be able to, like, at one point in the movie, you're going to jump through a wall to save Sarah Connor. Yeah. <laughs> Just jump through a wall. <laughs> exactly. Make a hole in the wall. <laughs> it's like, this, none of this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And That's what I, I was thinking. Like, Joe, uh, Joe, Miles Dyson, the only thing he really does for them is tells tells John Connor that the keys have to be turned to the left simultaneously to open that safe. Yeah. And that's it. That's like all he informs him of. And even that would make sense because I like even if they were at the house with Miles Dyson, they should have been like we don't need you now. Like go to the hills, like run yeah. away. Yeah, and he'd, he'd be, be like, like no. here's here, here's the key John Connor. This is how you use the other key. This is where the other key is. Now go and do it. We're gonna run, and we'll meet you up late. Meet up with you later, type of thing. Yeah, and they could have even had seen this where it'd been like, "Oh, you need my like biometric scan. Like you need my fingerprint. <laughs> yeah, you need my yeah. hand, or you need my voice. Not even voice. Like have Arnold Schwarzenegger do the voice. Mm -hmm. Um, even that would have made more sense. Be like, he, um, Miles Dyson's like, "Oh, you need me to go with you because you need my voice identity." And then you have Arnold turn around, go, "You, you need my voice identity." Like doing yeah. the imitation of it. Like that would have been great. Definitely. You don't need Miles Dyson there. You do not need him. Yet for some reason, they they felt compelled to have him there for no other reason than to die. Yep. Do you think it's all because John Connor earlier in the movie says the greatest line, <laughs> Miles Dyson? Oh crap, she's gonna blow him away. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I, I don't know. Zach would know better. I don't know if that's something that gets, like, quoted a lot, like... Dyson. Yeah. Gotta be. Miles Dyson. She's gonna blow him away! Come on, let's go! Come on, let's go, let's go, come on! You know, we have, we've had our, um, our Kalel No and other, like, great lines, and the these are the stables! You know, we've had all these weird line readings. Is this one that gets kind of known or it was just me that i found this funny that i thought this was so like um, plastic well I, I don't know about that particular line i have not seen it mean anywhere but to be fair okay. i don't have my finger pull on the terminator memes community <laughs> uh but i do you know, know the uh, moderator <laughs> no unfortunately uh i do know that in the last like five or six years uh especially like all like the things like the Phantom Menace, like Jake Lloyd, a lot of people okay. now in retrospect, it's weird. Like this movie gets like no criticism, but the only criticism it gets is um, it has a horrible kid actor in it. 
Okay. Which is, I didn't which, think he was like terrible. There was just that line, a few other lines, and some of the faces he would make during the action scenes were pretty funny. But I didn't think he was horrendous. I never thought. I've always thought like when it comes to like child performances in movies, I always thought like, you, know, you have Haley Joel Osment, you have Edward Furlong, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like like they were kind of like toward the top end of things. Not saying they're the best though, but like kind of like when it comes to super duper commercial filmmaking. Yeah, and it's weird that like I don't see it a lot, but I have seen a few places where people are like, "Oh, the movie's perfect except for the horrible kid acting," and I'm like, "Don't be wrong, he's a kid actor. Like, you can't attack. You really can't attack him. He does a solid job." But like, yeah, that that does exist. People do dislike this movie for that aspect of it. Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, that there was something about that line because it, you know the the way the camera's shot, it's like they're they're John Connor and, and Arnold are just looking at like standing directly across from each other. And the camera's doing like this this swooping thing to like show their conversation because I think they're trying to figure out like where um, Sarah Connor's going, and then he has the realization and it stops like right on the two of them and he's like Miles Dyson, she's gonna blow him away and then he's like come on and they both run off screen and it was just so yeah. so calm. I laughed a lot at that. Like I said, some of the faces like when John Connor's on the um the little the little motor motorbike and being chased by Robert Patrick. And, you know, he's, like, in the in the aqueducts or whatever, and he's, like, mm-hmm. making just the goofiest faces, and the camera shows him, like, full on, like, full frontal. Um, I left hysterically at the scene near the end where Arnold, like, just walks into a room, and I think one of the cops, like, shoots tear gas at the elevator, and, mm-hmm. and, he, and Arnold does the I'll be back, like, wait here, I'll be back reference to the first movie. And he, like, gets a bunch of bullets, he finally gets to the cops... And then just proceeds to shoot like ten people's kneecaps out, and <laughs> all of them are screaming in pain. And then he's like, "I didn't kill anyone." And I'm like, "This is probably worse than killing all these people. Like, some of these people will never walk again, most likely." <laughs> no, I, it's funny. I remember. It's funny you mentioned that. Like when I first like watched when the few I don't know if it was the first time or one of the first few times I watched this movie with my father. And the thing he always found amusing was was that if you shoot somebody like in the kneecap. It, it, it'll hurt, it hurts, but they're gonna be fine. Because even like when he's about to drive the giant like SWAT van into the the lobby, a lot of them are getting up, and that's oh, kind of okay. The- okay, I I I buy that in the logic of the movie, but uh, like the scenes when Arnold's like he shoots dudes in the kneecaps and the shins and they go down and he's like they'll live. It's like there's a very good track record of medical professionals getting those people to live, but you don't know if sepsis is going to happen. You don't know oh. what diseases are going to oh. occur. So I was like, that's a relic. I was, so I couldn't, I couldn't get oh, you could, Okay. I've, I've always, I've always found that amusing because it's, because that is something that I like, think about it. Even if he does like shatter their, uh, Shin or knee, you can always get replacements for that. Like that's oh, oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's to incapacitate them for the time being. It's not me- it's not going to hurt them super duper. It's not killing them. It's yes, to incapacitate yeah. them. That's what it is. It gives them a it gives them a chance that they'll have a full life later <laughs> on, rather than just immediately taking away from them. <laughs> there goes that major league career for all of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right on. Going back to the final uh, Cyberdyne confrontation. I, the one thing I found fascinating, too, was the idea of their exit strategy. Okay. Because they have the three giant, like, barrels filled with explosives. Hmm. John Connor is, is able to get the key out of the lock or out of the vault, despite the fact he has an ATM card. I don't yeah. know how that works. He has a bank yeah. ATM card, and apparently it's the exact same science as... Uh, somehow, somehow it fits in there. <laughs> some, somehow it's the same technology, but whoever. Whatever. I don't care. And... 
you go and you, he goes to like the security table, which all of a sudden is a security table there with, with active security cameras. And he goes like, not good, not good. He goes to like a window and sees like the helicopter spotlight. Mm-hmm. And he goes to like all of them. He's like, we have company. They're like police, how many? All of them, I think. Yeah. And I was wondering, what was the exit strategy for this? They honestly think there was only one security guard in the entire building, <laughs> and that duct taping him under like a faucet was good. Like, I'd be like, you know what? We got it. We got the one security guard. And then two. They must have figured they'd be like Miles Dyson would have told them there's more than one security guard. Like we have to sweep this building before we can sit there and do anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And never mind, where did they get the explosives? Like we see them walking into Cyberdyne and they have all their equipment. Like Schwarzenegger has the mini gun. They have like all this stuff like in like little like bags, mm-hmm. satchels. Where did the three barrels of explosives come from? I assumed it was somehow fit into Sarah Connor's car when she drove off of that like Mexican reserve with oh, all the other it, weapons. It, it, was, it was in the station wagon. Yes, even though the car is way too small for it, that's the only thing I can assume is that she somehow had had them all in there. Because <laughs> that was so that was her plan: go kill Miles Dyson and then storm Cyberdyne by herself, which worked, which did not work out at all the first time. <laughs> What's the definition of insanity? Trying the same thing again, hoping for a different result. <laughs> maybe she yeah, is insane. I, maybe there, maybe there's a whole. I didn't have it in my movie. Maybe there's an even further deleted scene, or never even got shot, where it's like she goes to kill Miles Dyson. She doesn't. Terminator and her son show up. Then they all decide to destroy Cyberdyne. So they take a trip back to the oh. Mexican reserve to get the the supplies, and then they go to Cyberdyne. So maybe this was all like, you know, when there's that scene where Miles Dyson's like, "When should I take you?" And he's like, oh, now? And they were like, no, 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 we got to go get explosives first. So probably tomorrow night. <laughs> oh, my God. I find it, again, considering it's such a major plot point, is it the blowing up of the building? Yeah, yeah. That's just a weird thing. Like, in any other movie, that'd be its own, like, act of the film, is getting the materials to blow the movie up. Definitely. Yeah. And I get it. She was stockpiling things. I get it. But, like, to her to be driving around with those sort of chemicals, and they're in their, like, their main bucket, like, their giant, like, what? Vats too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like not easy like, to move. And she's like, and, and the police are looking for her. And she's <laughs> with a stolen car, and oh she's walking God. around with tons of weapons and three barrels of explosives. <laughs> like they, like, I get it. Like we don't have the same sort of like manhunting capabilities like then as we do now. Mm-hmm. But they will pull her over. Oh yeah. And she, yeah. And she had to cross the border. Like I, I she <laughs> probably didn't go through the major, but she only found some like back way in and out. But still. Cyberdyne's the, the major. Uh, she took the car from Sicario Two with the um, the white woman and the baby, <laughs> while carrying while carrying all four of the vats of chemicals. <laughs> oh my god! Like, this is one of those movies that, like, if it were any other movie, like it's it's that weird sort of like thing I do with movies, being like how people treated Batman v Superman, mm-hmm. and it just got like eviscerated on every single level. Like that, maybe there was n- not one member of the audience gave the like what the um. Suspension of disbelief yeah. to that movie. If we apply the Batman V level, I'm oh, sorry, Batman V Superman level of just like suspension of disbelief to this, this holds up no better than that movie does. Yeah, exactly. I think nothing this makes fir- sense. <laughs> this is firmly one of those don't think about it movies. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, know, get the it, get the good action when it comes around, and then just you know let the dialogue wash over you. It's the Jimmy C Sheen. It's just like yes. that nice like glaze that goes over everything. <laughs> it is. This movie's great. Like, who are we to argue with it? 
But like when you actually think about any portion of it, it's like, eh, eh. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yep. Yeah. I think I think that was one of the sources of disappointment. Um, not you know, not just the human aspects that I really didn't like, but some of that you know the the big switch in tone and you know how much more plot heavy it gets than the first Terminator, where it was kind of like, oh, I I knew to expect that, but it it didn't do it as well as I was hoping or as well that I remembered it. You know, I I too like we've been talking about. We both, I think, have that nostalgia air around this that still makes us enjoy it to to a great extent. Oh yeah, because it is like like some of the stuff like uh, oh god, watching Arnold come out of, uh, out of the elevator when they shoot the like the, the the tear gas, and you're like you're like where are you going? He's like, and, and the and the, uh, the camera zooms in on him as the smoke wafts around the elevator. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'll be back, and he has that grin. Oh yeah, oh, the, the nostalgia, the endorphins just flooding my brain. It's it's great. Um, then, I like, really what? loved the scene. Uh, I think this was the first time it stuck out stuck out to me because it's been so long since I saw the first Terminator. But like when Sarah Connor's making her break from the mental institution and she's running around the halls, and like the the uh, nurses or the the guards are after her, and she like runs into Arnold and falls down, and she sees him for the first time, and she's like running away and runs right to the people who were trying to capture her before. I loved that scene, especially just watching the first one so recently. Because, you know, without the Kyle Reese stuff, it's even better, I think. It's like, this is the person that was trying to kill me 10 years ago, and now he's back type of thing. Oh, I, I was all on board with that. Well, the weird thing, though, is that, like, she... Okay, this is another thing that makes you wonder if there was an alternate plot to this movie. Because earlier, in how she's able to escape is that the, the detectives come to her and show her that he's back because he's at the mall. Mm-hmm, yeah. So she knows he's back. Yes, yeah. So it's the idea that, like, oh... Like she, obviously she's horrified because she knows what he is, mm-hmm. but like she knows he's floating out there, and that's never really addressed in any sense. Being like, oh, like obviously I don't expect to see in the movie her being like, what were you doing at the mall? Like I don't expect that, but it's the idea of like, oh, she knows he's around. Yeah, yeah, and I, I took that more as that was the instigator for her to break out. Well, that and her not being allowed to see her son again mm-hmm. because it was like she can't just be a sitting duck there type of thing. Yeah, and that makes you wonder though between like that being set up the kyle reese thing being cut and just the overall like like awkward nature of like the second the second half of the second act and the first half of the third act it makes you wonder was there something else here yeah with that maybe like I, I maybe there was some draft or maybe the the oh god the owner of cyberdyne is someone who looks like arnold schwarzenegger and that's why all mm-hmm. the likenesses are based off of him That'd maybe be there's like that's why I mean, there has to be some layer of this that involves Cyberdyne to like a higher extent, in the sense yeah. of like I, 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 an executive level. Yeah, with because, how much more plot and exposition and lore of this universe that we get with this movie, you're absolutely right that we should see, or it, not that we should, but it's almost um, intuitive for us to expect to see something like that, more of the behind the scenes, big government conspiracy type of stuff. Because even like going back to Terminator Genesis. Is that like Jimmy C was very hands on in promoting that? Well, okay. like, he, there's even there's like there's this really great like behind the scenes video of him or like I, they call him like what EPK EPKs where it's like like it's it's a fluff piece, it's a promo piece, sure. and it's him like being interviewed like after he saw it, he's like he's like I only made like when I made Terminator two, that was it, it was a two movie franchise. Never mind like ten years or like fifteen years earlier, he's like it could be as many movies depends on where the story goes. <laughs> yeah, and he's like he's like so I'm sitting down to watch it and I'm seeing things that I recognize. And considering that the plot of the fifth movie Is very much about how like John Connor is involved with the creation of Skynet Spoiler okay. alert 
And it's like, oh, maybe that was a point. Maybe maybe John Connor's even involved in this to some degree. Maybe there's I know I get I'm just making things up here. But considering that like apparently for Terminator Genesis, they pulled a lot from like unused ideas that he had for the first two films. Oh, I okay. wonder if maybe Terminator Genesis can get, and when we get to that, maybe we'll delve into it there. Um, gives us some insights into what a maybe a different second and third act of this film was. Oh, okay, interesting. Because it does, it feel this the, again that there's a very specific part of this film that feels very out of place. Yeah, yeah, and the reason why you can tell it feels out of place because the pacing of everything else surrounding that that specific moment moments is perfect. Like you go from term, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger showing up at the biker bar all the way to the mental hospital escape, and the movie flows wrong pretty like perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's none of this like like what is it like to be human like nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And I, don't, and I don't mean nonsense in a derogatory way. I just mean just that content. There's none of that sort of thing in the movie. And then you go to the the steel mill or the escape from Cyberdyne up into the steel mill, and the movie flows perfectly there too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it makes you wonder what happens between them escaping the mental hospital and them having to escape whatever locale. Yeah, yeah, something must something must have happened there because, like I said, you have the idea of her being told there's another Terminator. You have all the stuff about Cyberdyne covering it up. There has to be something there. Definitely. There has to be. Okay. There, there must be a draft or a script treatment that explains that or emphasizes it in a different way than the final film does. Right on. Yeah, and that, yeah. I think that's interesting. It'll be a good lens for me to watch Genesis through um, to see if, if it kind of ties in. Okay, yeah, neat, neat stuff. Yeah, because there's a lot more stuff in that movie about like the time displacement machine and uh, like, like okay. there's a lot more there's a lot more time hopping in that movie. Gotcha. Um, because yeah, because the whole I think another reason why another tell as to how this movie changed was that the T one thousand disappears. Like he just disappears for like forty five. The villain yep. of the movie disappears for forty five minutes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it's for no other reason than just like what we don't even get to see. He walks away and tells the bike. I, is that in your version where he walks up to the bike cop and he's like, "That's a real nice bike." Yep, and then that's the last time we see him, I yeah. think, until he walks into Miles Dyson's shop yeah. office. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. And it's like, so what did he do? Just drive around. And we don't get, it'd be different if we at least maybe saw him tracking them down, where we see him maybe, um, I think, because did you get the deleted scene of him feeling the walls in John Connor's room? Yes, I believe so. What part of the movie was that in? That was very, I think that was close to when, um, after he, he learns that the adoptive parents are dead. Okay, so that's before the mental institution. Yeah, yeah. I think that's still along the, he's like searching for him, and he's, he's John Connor's already met up with the Terminator, and they're trying to decide, you know, Terminator's like, I gotta get out of the city, and John Connor's like, no, we gotta save the mom. And I think it's in there, so it's before the mental okay. institution. It would have made sense if he, Jimmy C, would have kept that movie in the theater, I'm sorry, that scene in the theatrical cut, but take it out of the part after the step-parents are killed, plug it in, after the mental institution escape, mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. him do that. And then in the little shoe box that says like mom memories or whatever it says, have something mentioned about like a safe haven in Mexico. There you go. Yep. And you have him go down there and he hears something about how, I don't know, something happens on his way down there and he finds out that she's heading to Miles Dyson's. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And he something, tries to head her off there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, you know, Arnold says to John Connor, he says like, Oh, like, Oh God! Um, the T or no, he says it later in him. Like the T one thousand will probably try intercepting us at Miles Dyson's, and so well, clearly not because he had like a two day like oh God, like like oh God, what do you like a day like behind start? 
yeah. he gets there after they they've already like like because what they they have like what the uh flaming uh oh god which the flaming trash cans like in the living room mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and when he uh, the, he just like walks by all the stuff's burning and he doesn't the terminator's just like looking around yeah yeah and it makes it so weird that like Arnold tells John Connor after he rescues him, like, "Oh, we can't go back to your house because the T one thousand is going to outthink us at every single turn we make." Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but then for forty five minutes of the movie, the T one thousand's gone, and then when he does show up, he's like behind the curve. Yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah, that's, interesting. It's it's a discrepant again. Jimmy C is too smart. He wouldn't he wouldn't allow these things in his own work. Mm-hmm. He would notice it and be like, "Oh, we have to fix this," unless. Whatever he had prior to this, he disliked even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're making a good case for it. Uh, definitely. Um, now thinking about all this stuff, that could definitely be some one of the reasons for it. Absolutely. Okay, Rob. We have released the Snyder Cut, but considering we already have an alternate version of Terminator Two, what are we going to call this other alternate version of a hypothetical version of Terminator Two? <laughs> We can't say release the Jimmy C cut because we already have that. It's yeah, more yeah. than more than meets the eye cut. So where are we gonna call this? I don't. It should be something like the, like the, like the Skynet cut or the Cyberdyne cut, like the version okay. that the bad guys want you to see or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> release the Cyberdyne Skynet cut, whatever version the bad guys want want you to see. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's called. The entire thing is in quotation marks. Right on. Delphin. <laughs> yeah, we get this right. Yeah, we get those scenes with the executives in this movie, and it's like, you know, almost like a like some slight blend of the propaganda that they're pushing and stuff like that. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's funny in Terminator Three. There's a deleted scene that involves the uh, like a I don't want to say like a propaganda, but it's like almost like a promo piece that's in the style of that. That's that's a deleted scene. That's probably one of the greatest scenes of all time. Oh okay, I don't think I've seen that. No, yeah, because you know I'm thinking about it now where. That would almost make even more sense with everything we've said about how there should be this behind the scenes executive, you know, the higher ups of Cyberdyne making these some decisions that this movie would kind of been wrapped out nicely where, you know, the Terminator, Arnold tells our characters like, who's the person responsible for Skynet? Oh, it's Miles Dyson and he's alive and working on it right now. And they go to Miles Dyson, they do all this stuff with them. And then it turns out that he was just going to be the fall guy kind of for mm-hmm. Cyberdyne and stuff. And so it was it was a red herring even from the future for them to go back and deal with Miles Dyson. That would have been more intriguing than this, than how he was wrote out. So, yeah, I, I feel you. Yeah. And I think there was, maybe he maybe he got too heady at one point. And Jimmy C had to scale it back. Could be. Because because you think about it. Skynet obviously knows now that its inception is from it sending itself back in time. Mm-hmm. So it would be aware of that. And then you do have that line of dialogue very early in the film between Miles Dyson and the guy with the, the sucker in the soda can where yeah. Miles Dyson makes it abundantly clear that he is not the head of the company. There are higher. He's just like a head and he's like a top head engineer of the project. Mm-hmm. He is not a boss. Yeah, he's not yeah. an owner. So, like, why establish that there's higher higher ups and then completely walk away from that? Yeah, yeah. Some some weird level of Frankensteining was going on here, and yeah. we're picking apart the seams or and noticing the seams. And it's weird. I've never read or heard or watched any sort of take on this movie like we're doing right now. Oh, okay, interesting. We're breaking new ground. <laughs> but Rob, I'm not sure. Much like last week, we forgot about retroactive abortion. There's something in this movie that we have not discussed, and you tiptoed around it, yet didn't mention it. Ooh, okay, okay. 
we were good. Dis- we were going to possibly discuss this movie as our first series on Cinemodies. Do you oh. remember why? <laughs> uh, good old Dean Norris, right? Good old Dean Norris as reprising his role. Wait, which came out first? This or Gremlins Two? They both came out in '91, right? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure of the we, actual. We, we, order. We, folks, we have to look into this in real time to make sure we get this like the most utmost of importance to you. Don't we worry, I have, D- I have Dean Norris information bookmark, bookmarked on my computer. <laughs> we have detailed files on Dean Norris. Apparently this was just after Gremlins 2. So this is his reprisal to his most iconic performance yes. of SWAT Team Leader. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because um, this was... Um, I, I definitely had that in mind, and when I watched this, I... I think I was definitely able to pick up on oh, Dean yeah. Norris's voice, of oh, course, yeah. when he says, everybody out, it's gonna blow, or whatever, when they see my Dean Norris is the one, I w- he could have been the one to tap Miles Dyson's arm and save <laughs> the day. But no, he had to go on and continue to be his, uh, his SWAT team leader and have a team to lead. <laughs> Does this happen? So this happens before, okay, going back to the, okay, we haven't talked about it in a while when it comes to cinematis, but the vast, vast Dean Norris conspiracy. Oh, of where, course. Where does where, where does it land? <laughs> where does it take? Where does it lead? Where does it lead in from? And where does it take us from? Oh, well, uh, well. Now, since this is so related to you know the machines rising up, this technology having uh, certain power in the world, I think that since Dean Norris does such a good job as SWAT team leader in this and Gremlins Two: The New Batch. You know, what did he like shoot somebody in Gremlins to the new batch? And then I think he shoots the, like he's walking through like all the Gremlins like puddles. Yeah. And one of them starts to twitch and he shoots it. He's like, oh God, what's he say? Like threat eliminated or. Uh... Yeah. He's like, got him, sir. Or something. He says to clamp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, got him. Yeah. Or something like that. It moves, sir. Yeah. Something like that. So I think that he did such a good job as SWAT team leader that he goes on and works his way up the ranks of, I can't remember the name of it, but he eventually becomes the director in The Lawnmower Man. Because The Lawnmower Man, he's the director of the company that Pierce Brosnan works for that is all about, you know, how do we get this new technology? How do we, you know, make people smarter than they actually are? I think I've described it once before. The Lawnmower Man is basically flowers for Algernon on steroids. Um, so, yeah, I could see something like that, that Dean Norris kind of uses this, this Cyberdyne experience to, to move his way up to more of that behind-the-scenes bureaucracies type stuff. But where does Lawnmower fit, fit into the canon? That would be next. So he goes from here to the Lawnmower Man. No, but where is then, then, okay? Then, then where does he go into like Book of Henry or like like Maximus? Oh, oh, oh I think I think we it never talked about Lawnmower Man. We never yeah, talked we didn't about talk that. about that one. Um, I think I think I'm pretty sure since I've only seen the Lawnmower Man once, but I I did enjoy it. Its goofiness. I'm pretty sure at the end of the Lawnmower Man, Jeff Fahey, the Lawnmower Man like turns Dean Norris into his atoms like he separates all the atoms of his body and he like dissipates so just like the T-1000 who can reform his metal parts I think Dean Norris can reform his particles and he goes back to uh, being you know the police chief or the police whatever he is in um, Henry in Book of Henry or he's the DEA agent from Breaking Bad or maybe he reassimilates himself into the animated world of Sophia the First and gets himself captured um, by Carrie Elwes. God, it's been so long since we've talked about that. So yeah, okay, that's a 
I'm, you're, you got me on my toes. I wasn't <laughs> fleshing that this out completely. But I, I, I would have to go back, I think, and listen to all those X-Files uh, segments we did. <laughs> Folks, it's all connected. Dean Norris, Jeff oh, Fahey, Alita Battle Angel, Terminator. Cinematis is just one giant circle. We're slowly making our way back to the starting point. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> maybe, maybe Dean Norris doesn't even go on. Maybe Dean Norris, like, goes on from this... I don't know, I'm trying to tie in when Dean Norris meets Arnold in Total Recall. You know, it's like, does yeah. that happen before or after he sees them? Maybe he sees them as I a forgot Terminator. about that. He's thing. in Total Recall. Yeah, so maybe there's something Tony. with Dean. Yeah, Dean Norris. Oh my is God. Like, Dean Norris is like, oh, I fought a, I fought an ugly looking robot like you once or something like that. You know, it would have been great. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God! It's all connected, folks. <laughs> See, the Dean. There's a reason why the Dean Norris series was the first thing we ever delved into on the Cinematics podcast. It is. It is all all connected. Yeah. A year and a half later, folks. We're think of how many podcasts out there. That a year and a half later, their first series is just as important now as it was then. <laughs> I know a lot of podcasts, even on the Star Wars podcast, I tell people like, don't listen to the first few episodes. They're horrible. You can't gain anything from them. Cinematis is the true inverse of that. The earlier episodes might truly be the most important ones. This is all fluff and nonsense. Yeah, that, now, that is now, the that I'm looking, now that I'm looking back at our series, I'm thinking like maybe even after Dean Norris has to deal with gremlins and then killer robots and his place of business gets blown up, or maybe he might not even work at Cyberdyne, maybe he's just a police officer there. Maybe that's when he decides to come out of the force for a little bit and raise a child and men, women, and children, and he doesn't know how to do it right. <laughs> and then he goes back to being a police officer. Because <laughs> he's like, clearly I can't take care of children. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe, I think I might have said that in our series, but he like, in because in Men, Women, and Children, he's like, he's just like a, an idiot. Like, he's just a bad <laughs> father. Like, he doesn't understand what his kid likes, you know? He's like, he's like, ah, I don't understand your interest, kid, so I deleted your World of Warcraft account. But maybe he just like tries again and that's where he's like, fuck it, I can't be a good dad. I guess I should abuse my children in Book of Henry. Uh, it, it's, there's a there's a timeline in here somewhere. We can we can flesh it out. Oh my God, <laughs> there, there should have been, we need to create a four year consideration like like advertisement for men, women, and children <laughs> in regards to Dean Norris's performance in that movie where it says in, me, in men, women, and children, he's just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, man. oh my God, men, women, and children. God bless men, women, and children, folks. He was in good the look. cell, apparently. Which I only He's saw in once. everything. Dean Norris is in everything, Rob. Have we not learned right anything from, from this recording, this podcast yet? He's in Chances everything. are, Dean Norris is in everything. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to come back to him, definitely. <laughs> We're going to learn. There's, there was some video that happened recently with the directors of Avengers Endgame where they're like answering questions. And somebody's like, why isn't Nova Richard Ryder in the final battle? How do you have a final battle of Thanos without Nova? And they're like, he's in there as a cameo. And that's going to happen. Like One day we're going to hear about Dean Norris was in the background during the fight of Avengers Endgame. He just shows up out of a portal. It's like, what am I doing here? And we don't know what version of it. Maybe it's all of his versions. It's yes. Maximus. It's the men, women, and children version. It's the DEA agent version. They all come out of portals. They were there too fighting Thanos. Oh my god, that would be great. Just all of these different incarnations of, of Dean Norris. Oh, that makes me think like what we were saying in our endgame episode it was like 
there's no point characters dying is meaningless because you get any of them that you want back. And we were like, do you want the like the short-haired Scarlett Johansson, the red-haired <laughs> Scarlett Johansson? We could be like, do we want DEA Dean Norris? Do we want abusive father Dean Norris? <laughs> I think our biggest mistake for the Avengers Endgame series was that the item for the much like the word processor of the gods, we should have picked an item. We should have picked the Infinity Gauntlet as the <laughs> item for the Cinematic reference, so we can bring anything we want into existence. Oh, that's good. That's good. Apparently, Dean Norris was in two episodes of the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which I've God never seen. Damn it! Oh yeah! Oh God damn it! He was. He plays Nelson. I don't know who Nelson is. Yeah, I think I know who he plays in that. I think he plays like Sarah Connor's like boyfriend at one point. Oh okay. Man. I think he might. <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't watched Sarah Connor Chronicles like in forever. Yeah, I didn't even know that existed. I think. Oh my God, Lena Headey plays Sarah Connor in that. Didn't yeah. I, I say she? Would, I think you said that that she was in the TV show. I, yeah. I said she would have been better I, than. Um, yeah, what's I didn't think of that either. Yeah, Lena Headey. Yeah. What? That's what they, that's that's what they had to cast Amelia Clark for. Uh, Rob, they, they already picked your head actress. They used once. her. Okay. Yep. <laughs> right on. You already picked the best. The very next thing is clearly Amelia Clark. Oh man! Oh, you know, that's the funny. weird thing though is that like Lena Headey, if she wasn't already Sarah Connor and something else, probably would have been picked solely because of the Game of Thrones thing. Mm, Okay, sure. And she when she yeah, was hired as Sarah Connor, she was that was before Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah. Look yeah. at that. Right on. It's all connected, folks. Yeah, we don't. Even, I'm, I'm trying to think because like, I told Rob for Terminator Two 3D, like we were going to talk about, it, and I told him like it wasn't worth it. And I forgot about Sarah Connor Chronicles in the context of this. Like, we're not going to talk about like two seasons of a show. And considering that it's all like narrative based, there's like no way we could pick like a bunch of episodes. Could it just be? Oh, okay. Like, that was a show like you need to watch every episode because like it all like lead. Well, it ends on it got canceled on a cliffhanger, but like you'd have to watch everything in order to like you couldn't just pick like a handful of episodes. Gotcha. Because because there's like characters like in the second season that are like who the hell are these people? Because um, like Kyle Reese's brother shows up at one point. Okay, <laughs> he, comes, he gets he gets sent back in time, <laughs> and, he, and he helps them. It, it's Where's so my brother? <laughs> he says that he says what happens to my brother because he gets sent in time before Kyle does. Okay, oh my let, god! Let me, let me rephrase that. He gets sent back in time, like in the future, before Kyle does. So he's like, oh, like what happens to my brother? And Lena Headey, Sarah Connor has to explain to him, like, oh. Kyle's like dies and he gets like, all up. upset. Okay. Yeah. And he he starts like punching things and like throwing things around the room. He's like, no, but he's the father of John Connor. And he's like, what? So like his sacrifice was worth it. So I shouldn't be upset now. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a reason why like the like Sarah Connor Chronicles was really good sci-fi, but like none of it makes sense. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> the weird thing about the ending of Sarah Connor Chronicles is was that it got canceled. It, the the uh, finale ended. And it got canceled because they were expecting a third season renewal. Mm-hmm. It got canceled like two weeks before Terminator Salvation debuted in theaters. Oh, man. And okay. everyone's like, oh, oh, nobody <laughs> must expect this to make money then. So it was like this weird yeah. sort of thing. Like, it's weird to be like, oh, like, because it was also being made by two different, I think, studios. I think one studio had the film rights and one had the TV rights. Okay. And it was really strange for like, one, like Warner Brothers was putting out the, um, the, uh, the TV, uh, the movie, and Fox had the TV thing. And Fox cancels the show only for a big budgeted movie to a premiere like two weeks later. Like talk <laughs> about like shooting a franchise in the foot. Yeah, wow. And the and the the uh, the climax was John Connor gets set in not back in time, gets set into the future to uh to lead the rebellion. Or whatever. Okay. 
Sure, that, sure. And, and it's like teenage John Connor. It's like t- like thirteen year old John Connor sent into the future to like lead like like the battle in the future, and all of his like lieutenants are like, "Sir," and that's like how it ends. It's uh, the strangest hmm. cliffhanger yeah. ever. In a weird way, I think it helped the show because there's no way they could have written themselves out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, the Terminator franchise is weird. And, and wait until we get into uh, Rob will get sent this video. There's like I've never seen this done before in media. The Terminator 3 video game. It's funny. When Terminator 3 came out, there was Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, which mm-hmm. is like your normal just like tie-in video game to make for marketing reasons. Then like six months later, they made Terminator 3 The Redemption. It's essentially like it follows the exact same plot, which is the movie. And it, and it ends with the movie, but it has an epilogue like, oh God, what's it called in video games? Um, cut sequence? Sure. And it's maybe the greatest thing ever for all the wrong. Like, what, what's, okay. what's the catchphrase I always say on this podcast, Rob? Like, it's the worst. Oh, it's the best thing in the worst way possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. That that like unlike Terminator Two, Three D Battle Across Time, Rob will be sent the Terminator Three epilogue from the video game. Okay, perfect. <laughs> it's it's horrible, but it's spectacular. Right on. Terminator Two. Anything else that we need to uh, highlight from this movie? I think I think there was just one one scene that I wanted to highlight because it, I think even when I was a kid, it it was even weird to me. I think also you know when Zach and I were growing up watching this, it, it had been out for a while. You know maybe I'm sure I saw this sometime in the '90s, but like Zach said, when he was getting big into DVDs in the 2000s, um, even when I was younger, it stood out to me because it was so weird. And I think it might have just been of the time that we were growing up in. And I know my parents made a big deal about it. There's this one scene where like. Sarah Connor's just sitting around the Mexican ranch or reserve or whatever. And she's just like, she has her voiceover talking about how like the humans aren't going to survive or something like that. And there's just little kids running around with guns. <laughs> like that scene, I've never understood that scene. Cause I get this. Like when John Connor sees, he's like, we're not going to survive. Like we're not going to make it. Right. And it's like, no, I have the chance to make it, whatever it is. But, but it's just like these kids are just running around waving guns at each other, and then an adult just like comes and takes yeah. them and like shoes them away. Like what? What? What is this? Was this okay back in the early nineties? Is is Jimmy C putting this in a movie? The reason we got all those really sad commercials where it's like kid voiceovers, where it's like I thought you could play with a gun, but then I shot my whole family. Like is this? Like this seems so different. For what we are used to in our in our lives now, right? In terms of gun control and gun safety, is that? Are you getting that confused with the scene with the uh, the two kids at the not in the, the 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 shelter or the safe haven in Mexico, but after they go to like the diner on the side of the road and they're eating, and John Connor sees the kids playing with the two guns because that's oh, when the mother shows up and takes the gun out of their that, hands. That might be it then. Yeah, that might be what I'm thinking. Yeah, that might have just blended together. But she, I know, I, I think you're, yeah, because the other scene you're thinking of is with Sarah Connor and she is sitting with the, like on the, the park, uh, the picnic bench and she's like carving no fate, what we create. create. Oh, yeah, and she yeah. Sees, she sees the kids then, but it's more just like the idea of, again, children, the idea of the future. Um, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I'm definitely yeah. thinking of the when when they're when he, like there's a shot, there's like a slow motion shot of them waving guns around. Yeah, <laughs> it's that. Yeah, and I get like that. I get like it's a whole idea. Like, okay, man is destined to violence. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're too entertained by violence. We're never. It, it's part of who we are. We're never gonna. Again, it's a weird thing. It's a weird theme of this movie that nobody touches upon. There's a lot of like you said, human condition stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And and that's even with the very end of the movie where it's like uh, it took a Terminator to finally learn the idea of like what humanity meant. Like if a Terminator can learn the idea of like what it's like to live a life, maybe that's hope for us all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's cool. Like, I remember when I was younger, I used to cry at the end when Arnold goes into the uh, the uh, the molten steel. I always cry. When I was younger, oh, okay. I always cried because it's like he was he was the surrogate father figure. Yeah, like, yeah. He was that father figure for me. That's just the idea. He was he was this larger than life. And, and she does. I think it's cool in the sense like where Rob doesn't really appreciate, but where she has like the inner monologue, and you hear like, oh, after all, like the boyfriends, the abuse of alcoholics, it took a robot to be the perfect like father figure for my son. Yeah, he's never going to leave him. He's always going to be there to protect him, follow his follow his step footsteps. Yeah, that's yeah. Stuff. He'll he'll never get drunk and hit him. And I do. I think that's a really cool idea. The Terminator is this figure, almost like the perfect father that will never do anything to stop protecting John, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like even and that does play a bigger part in the end. Where you even see, and I don't know if this was intentional or just kind of like the limitations of Arnold Schwarzenegger's acting, but like even in the end in the steel mill where he's like, like Sarah's like, we have to go. And John's like, no, we stick together. And he turns around to John. He's like, John, go. It's like, and that's, and that's cool. Cause it is the idea. Like, okay, yeah. he is learning. He's, he's more now than just a machine. And I think that is a reason why that like this film does resonate with so many people is the idea that Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator and Terminator two is this kind of like idealized, like father figure. He is this father figure that's unobtainable. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think that's cool. I really do. I think that's super neat. And I think another reason why I love Terminator three so much is that Terminator three plays the exact opposite of that dynamic. Okay. It's like at one point Terminator Three, we have the discussion of um, John Connor or oh god, what's his name? I forget his name. The actor who plays him. Um, yeah, oh I god. don't remember either. Oh god, Nick Stahl. Nick Stahl. John Connor is like, don't you? It's like it's like Asta La Vista baby blowing up Cyberdyne. You don't remember any of that? And, and Arnold Schwarzenegger in that movie turns around and goes, "That was another T eight hundred model." And it's like it's perfect. It's that, okay. exactly. Because I yeah. remember, and we'll get into this next week a little bit more. Though, but it was the whole idea of like, oh, how's Arnold coming back? Like that was always a big thing going into two, Terminator Three for me when I was uh, ten. When I was ten mm-hmm. years old, that was always a big idea. It was like, wait, how's he coming back? Um, he got blown up, or he, or not blown up. He got uh, Melted, submerged. Yeah. In the mol- yeah, he got uh, submerged in the molten steel. And uh, no, but no, going to the point you mentioned of uh, like we haven't talked about the the, the nightmare sequence. Yeah, considering my considering that this and clearly the Batman v Superman scene. I would have to say is an inspiration, or I'm sorry, the Terminator sequence is clearly mm-hmm. an inspiration for that with Batman. Oh, considering yeah. we have our hero looking at like a, like a oh god a a panoramic view of dystopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love I, some of the effects in those scenes with like the um the people turning to ash and then to skeletons or, or Sarah Connor like holding onto the on, fence and stuff. They catch on the worst part is like they're on they they literally catch on they spot not spontaneously combust, but like they spontaneously catch on fire and start to like melt in real time as mm-hmm. they are melting alive. Yep. And that is such a horrifying concept. Which yeah, is, good old radiation. <laughs> <laughs> Good old radiation. Uh, but I remember when I was younger, not that that sequence freaked me out. Or I'm sorry, not that it scared me. But, like, that sequence, like, was was harrowing as a kid. Like, that was a spooky-ass sequence. Yeah, yeah I think it is. It, is. Exactly. And it was for me, especially, I think, the second one where, you know, she – there's the close-ups of – it's, like, Linda Hamilton at the fence telling everybody to run – and then it's like Linda Hamilton with the little kid, like in in the playground type of thing. It's like, yeah, that that's well done. That gives you chills and and conveys that message appropriately. Yeah, I I, I always like um, now. I don't. I'm not obviously. I'm not bothered by it now. 
But um, no, like that was always one of those things, man. It's like this movie doesn't get enough credit for like portraying like a nuclear blast as authentically as humanly possible. Because mm-hmm. that was essentially what would happen. You see a giant like bright light, and that's it. Yep. Like yep. you wouldn't know. Like you see the bright light, and that's it. Like you had. There's no chance of surviving it. Next thing you know, you're gone. And I've always found that fascinating, like, like something that realistic. And I know that's a big hallmark in all of Jimmy C's movies. We always have like the threat of like nuclear Armageddon, whether it be The Abyss, yeah. True Lies. <laughs> yeah. um, a- even, even Avatar has that to an extent, the idea that like there, there's some sort of like nuclear fallout or just mm-hmm. u- pollution from like nuclear energy. Exactly. Um, yeah, I've always found that fascinating though. But I have a question. Have you speaking of that sequence, have you ever seen the original alternate ending Jimmy C had to this movie? No, I don't believe so. Okay. I want Rob to do this in real time. Oh, not, that he, not, not that he has to watch it though, but he has to notice one specific part of it as I describe okay. it to the audience. Go on YouTube right now and type in Terminator 2, like alternate ending or original ending. It'll pop up, I'm sure of it. Because the thing I want you to notice happens really early in the movie. And if okay. you do this, I'm going to talk the audience through it right now. I got, so, I got Terminator 2 Special Edition Alternative End? I guess that's it. You'll know what okay. it is as I describe it. It's only like two what, minutes long, so okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not very long. What happens is it takes place after the, the, the robe with like Sarah Connor saying, like, oh, maybe if a Terminator can believe in the future or believe in humanity, maybe we can too, and that's the real future. We then mm-hmm. cut to, we have, like, Utopian Washington DC. Oh and, shit, yeah. Huh? And it's the most hilarious thing ever where you have like <laughs> the Capitol building, the White House, the Washington Monument, and on the left, you have like the most idealized utopia ever with like the spires and pyramid yeah. buildings. And it's all like matte painting. It's oh my the, god. It's I, corny I as hell. That's exactly what I'm seeing. I don't know if you're seeing if you're looking at the shot, but you know, it's like Washington Monument on the right, Capitol <laughs> building in the middle, and to the left. Of that. Utopia. It's utopia. Yeah, it is utopia. But I'm looking at like this, this one, like this, this one standout thing. It's like two thirds of the Eiffel Tower. Like it's the <laughs> Eiffel Tower missing the top of it. Yep. So I could totally imagine Jimmy C is like, you know, okay, what, what other monuments would they build? Well, okay, the Eiffel Tower, because the Eiffel Tower is actually a monument to mathematics and science. I don't know if we ever talked about that. Be like, okay, we need something like that. Like we beat the machines, and oh god, yeah, this is. The other ones probably have have meaning as well. Like there's a one pyramid looking thing in the in yep. like the background well, on the left. It's all, it's all cultures coming together. Yes, humanity has finally found a way to love one another. It's utopia. <laughs> See, folks, by 2029, we will have accomplished utopia. It, we're only we're less than 10 years away from utopia. Oh, God. And then, and then it cuts to people playing soccer in America. That clearly didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, the best part of the sequence, I, will, I wonder if Rob continues to watch it. There's people playing with this weird hover game where they have a Frisbee and they have gloves on. And you have to balance your, like, like maneuver your hand over the Frisbee to keep it up in the air. It's the oh, weirdest. Yeah, okay, yeah, it just came on it, screen. And there's a bunch of people doing this. It's not just one group of people. It's like numerous times where the camera cuts, we'll see this. And it's the weirdest way to end a Terminator movie. Yeah, that was very strange. (laughs) And I love that we have Sarah Connor on like a park bench. And for some reason, she still feels compelled to narrate her life. Despite the fact that her son is alive playing with his own child and I'm not yeah. sure if it's said in the narration by her, but I remember reading an interview somewhere that at this point, John Connor is a senator. Oh, yeah. 
it's oh it's, God. The, it's such a departure from like it's not just uncharacteristic for this film it's uncharacteristically jimmy c yeah it's so weird like i, I get why he cut it but in a weird way, I hope he would have kept this because a that means you get no more tone. Like, all the Terminator sequels go out the window at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And two, it's just it takes you so much out of the movie. Oh yeah, one of the um one of the first YouTube comments is I always liked that John became a senator yep. and maybe president in this ending, yep. showing he was destined to be a great leader no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant <laughs> to these movies. <laughs> Or if he becomes a leader, no matter what, it depends if they can stop the machines, whether it's through him or someone else. That's the thing that's really interesting, and we'll get into this next week too with Terminator Three. Is that, and I think it's it's, now that James Cameron is on board as like a producer for Terminator Dark Fate, is that like the Terminator franchise was never about like the Terminators or John Connor. They were all just kind of like the filler in the background. This series was more or less about Sarah Connor. It's yeah, the, it's it's the character arc of Sarah Connor going from this like abused waitress that gets like gelato sherbet dumped in her like waitress pockets mm-hmm. to being like this like like oh god like hardcore warrior yeah. to then being a monster to then knowing how to like dial that back to being human again. And yet, like, it's funny, like, and I get it. For Terminator 3, 4, and 5, Linda Hamilton never wanted to come back. She, um, she agreed to, like, record things for Terminator Salvation. Because I think she said, like, I only did this because they promised me a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> um, but that was the whole thing, though. Is that, like, this series was never about, like, John Connor or the machines. It was always, yeah. like, it centered around Sarah Connor. She was the focal point of this. And obviously, once she doesn't come back, you got to get creative because there's still money to be had here. Mm-hmm. But that's what I think is so interesting. And that's kind of what gives me hope for Terminator Dark Fate is that this okay. series is supposed to be about her. Yeah. And, right I hope they, and I hope, like, Jimmy C remembers that or whoever the filmmakers are remember that. <laughs> sure <laughs> but uh yeah um that I, I i've always found that ending just so amusing the yeah that is ending. definitely a really weird yeah i'm glad you showed that to me because i wouldn't have known about it otherwise right on makes you wonder why isn't that in the alt in the uh more than you know cut or because transformers robots in disguise cut yeah yeah robots in disguise terminators robots in disguise <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm so I'm surprised. Like that, I'm like, why not put that shovel in this one? There's other deleted scenes too that I don't think he put in there. There's other ones too. Like I remember on the the bonus features I was watching um, for this. There's a couple other scenes that I'm not. I'm pretty sure aren't in there, and I just forget what like on what bonus disc they're in. Oh, okay. He okay. he did cut other scenes out that aren't in the alternate cut, like mm-hmm. the alternate ending. Sure. Yep. Um, but yeah, good old right Jimmy on. C. Yep, good old Jimmy C. We have to leave him for a few weeks or for a lot of weeks, right? Well, maybe depending on what we're doing for December, we might come back to Jimmy C sooner than sooner than earlier. Okay, <laughs> okay, right on. Ah, uh, good old Jimmy C. Well, but, I think uh, the, uh, the the only other thing before we get to our real questions was uh, I told Zach I forgot to mention it last week, but it had to come up because it's gonna we're I'm gonna be talking about it at least once every Terminator movie from here on out. Hester Shaw, <laughs> the Terminator with the green eyes, not the red eyes. Um. Uh, 
I remember, I think you told me, like, when you first told me about Mortal Engines, because there was some series we did where we might have done Mortal Engines, and that was how I found out about it. I watched Bail Blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. And it was before Mortal Engines, I had even watched it. I was like, oh, what's it about? And Zach was like, it's like a mess. It's incomprehensible. There's a green, ter- a green-eyed Terminator. And I think that was like all I had going into the movie. But then I remember after I watched it, and I was telling Zach about it, I was like, oh, did you see it? And I think your response was, I had to turn it off like an hour in or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, well, one day you should see the whole thing because it's so incomprehensible. It's out of this world. And one of the things I told him about was how in the middle of the movie, there's an extended flashback about how one of our main characters, Hester Shaw, is being taken care of by the green-eyed Terminator. And the green-eyed Terminator wants to turn her into a Terminator. But then she runs away from him. So for the whole movie, he proceeds to slowly chase her. Like, like just walk chasing. I haven't seen It Follows, but I'm imagining it's just like It Follows, the, the slow walking from the distance chasing. And he just says, Hester Shaw, over and <laughs> over and over. And I, I loved how bonkers it was. So that, I definitely got the sense, some of those scenes in this with Robert Patrick just like, walking towards the camera or running in a lot of instances in this movie. I just wanted him to be like, Hester Shaw, John Connor. <laughs> I I haven't, I, does, doesn't the green-eyed Terminator in Mortal Engines blow himself up or something? Yeah, he commits self-sacrifice at some point. Yeah, to, to get some ship away from another ship or to, protect, to protect the something wall from Hugo Weaving. <laughs> Rob, don't give it away. Don't give it away just yet. Don't, I, think no. I think he's dead before Hugo even gets angry in that movie. <laughs> oh, God. Mortal yeah, Legends. So that's going to that's gonna come up again. Some Hester Shaw, for sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Fun fact, folks. The producer's commentary for Mortal Engines, it begins with a gunshot, a loud thud, and then silence for the next two hours. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh god, it would be fun to imagine. Like, can you imagine like you're a studio executive? I think that was Universal Pictures, and you get like screened Mortal Engines like like a month before it's supposed to go out in theaters, and you see that. Like, what's your reaction? Like you look at like, oh, how much did this cost? $185 million <laughs> and be like, this is it? Uh-huh. Like, like you have to like just like go into your office, lock the door with a large bottle of like alcohol and yeah, just like, not yeah. come out. Right? There's no other logical way to like respond to that. It, yeah, some some type of um not acceptance, but some type of acknowledgement in silent depression. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like when you see something or your news is revealed to you that's so upsetting that there is no outward response. It's just like I have to deal with this somehow. And it's like your body knows that you have to it's not gonna be a good thing, but it's just like that silent depression just washes over you. That's the only way I can imagine it going. <laughs> like a mini catatonic state. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like melancholia hits you just for a few moments. It has to be. Because like I can't imagine any executive looking at that being like, how do we I can't you're, that's a kind of like what's the word? Unsalvageable mess. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's like again, not to delve too far into that, but it's like I still can't believe it's kind of like in the same realm as Tomorrowland. Where at least Disney was arrogant enough to be like, oh, we're just slapping our logo on it, like in the brand. The brand will, pu- the brand will push this to mm-hmm, like breaking mm-hmm. even. That's when we're like, you have nothing helping you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's the definition of just like jump, like, like like jumping off a cliff and flapping your wings and just hoping, like, you know what, it's gonna work this time. 
<laughs> I hope that like after they screened that or after it came out, somebody was like, did you even read the book? <laughs> and they were like, no, it worked so well for Annihilation. Where the guy only read like three pages. We thought it'd be the same here. Was there a Mortal Engines book? Yeah, I think it's four. There's four books in the, se- in the series. Yeah, I think that's that's because I remember when you sent it to me, I was like, oh, I've heard of the books, but I never read it. And you were like, it's a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is happening again like a year later. <laughs> Six months later, I'm having the exact same response. Yeah. But yeah, I think they were trying to they were trying to build out the whole universe. And it was just not that was not the way to do it. I want on record that. Uh, Mortal Engines has only been out since like December of last year. Like, this movie is still less yes, than a year old. Oh god, it feels like we've been talking about this. It's funny. Cinematis has been around longer than Mortal Engines has. Yeah, it, yeah, it feels, feels like, like Mortal- it's in the canon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll have like we'll have to figure out a way because I don't know like what incomprehensible cinema would that be something would have like that's the only series that or or walls that are only talked about until three quarters of the way into the movie series. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like. I think there, there's some movies, you know, I hear from a lot of people, like I'll watch movies with people and they're, and at the end of it, they'll be like, I had no idea what was going on in that movie. And most of the times when people say that to me, I'm like, That's, you're just like saying that you're a fool. Like you're telling me you think you're, you're an idiot because even if you don't like understand some of the narrative, there's, there's very few movies that are like totally just, you can't get a sense of what's happening. And Immortal Engines, I swear, I watched this movie and I had no clue what was happening at any given point in time. So it's one of those movies where there's so much exposition and so much going on that it it was incomprehensible to me. Where other people, I think, are like, you know, people would watch stuff like um, for a movie I just told Zach about, like Under the Silver Lake. And they would be like, this movie made no sense at any point in time. And it's like, no, it was just very symbolic and, and not very dialogue driven. Like, you can't say it didn't make sense. It's just that, you know, you weren't as intrigued by, you know, you didn't have all these the dialogues and you get to see titties every 15 minutes and action to keep you intrigued, you know? So I think there's a difference, but this is one of the movies. If we ever did a series on, like, films that completely baffled us, this would be one of my votes. Immortal Engines. I honestly, if somebody put a gun to my hand to explain the plot to Mortal Engines, I... If I was even able to do it, I'd sound like someone with schizophrenia. Oh, definitely. I, I would probably end up just saying Hester Shaw over <laughs> and over. <laughs> Keep in mind, folks, there's a scene in this movie really early on where it's made abundantly clear that the characters assume people of the past worshipped the minions as gods. <laughs> yes, oh my That's god. They say, they say old tech so many fucking times at the beginning of this movie. It's so annoying. And there's a minion. Like, there's a, yep. a, a minion behind glass, like, in a museum, and one of the characters is, like, the people of yesteryear deify these things. Yeah, and then doesn't, it's like when the, because they all live on moving cities, and when one of the cities, like, makes a sharp turn, it, like, the stuff in the museum, like, shifts, and don't they, like, hold the minions up, and they're like, we almost lost the sacred deities or something <laughs> like that. And it's just like, oh, God. Oh, it's like God. I, <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. Like, it's it's, yeah. It's kind of, it's weird. It's a failed blockbuster even beyond the, like, we talk about things like Evolution or Cat in the Hat. And the Cat in the Hat's not incomprehensible. It's just zany to the point of no return. Mortal Engines is, is, again, it's, again, that's where I'm thinking about maybe December. I I keep wanting to do Disney stuff in December to work Tomorrowland in. Because I've made made a, a promise to myself that we will talk about Tomorrowland before the end of the year. 
And Tomorrowland okay. is definitely in the vein of Mortal Engines, where it's just like, what is going on? Nothing makes sense. Why is George Clooney in love with a 13-year-old girl? Yeah, uh, I, I still haven't seen Tomorrowland, but I'm excited because what I, now I've learned from through Zach that what um, uh, House is in it. Yes. Uh, George Clooney falls in love with young Celeste from Vox Lux. <laughs> Keegan-Michael Key is in it. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> it's directed by Brad Bird. It, it, none of it makes it. It's written by Damon Lindelof. <laughs> it's like a smorgasbord of everything that should make sense, but it doesn't. I'm excited for the when we get to see these incomprehensible movies. I love it. <laughs> that might, folks, that might be December, except for maybe like one or two things. That it's funny. That might be our first time in Cinematis where we have a dual series, where like one half of the month is one thing and the second half of the month is another thing. Oh, okay, okay. I get behind it. It's like a, it's like a mix and match type of thing. Yeah, might, we might have to do another one of those. Kind of like what would we do when we did like Sicario and Jurassic yeah. World, where we kind of like we had so many different ideas. We're like, you know what? It doesn't have to make sense this time. Yep, Hester Shaw, Hester. <laughs> But enough Hester Shaw Got at least get back to the titular topic Rob anything else about Terminator 2 Judgment Day I think this was everything I had uh, Pretty much Um, You know overall like I said it was a slight disappointment With some of the aspects I didn't like but I think Zach hit the nail on the head where this is uh, something that we would definitely recommend. If you've never seen it, check it out. And I think with that being said, I want to go into um, one of our questions because we brought it up last week for one of the first times with our late night movies. Remember we talked about the rewatchability aspect or, or rewatching a late night movie when both people were, you know, very or they'd forgotten about it type of thing. I, I think that would work really well here because when I was rewatching this, you know, like I said, it's been the first time I've seen it in forever. There was a lot I had forgotten about, a lot that I, uh, you know, didn't expect the humanity aspect of it. I didn't, I really didn't remember any of that. So I think it'd be interesting, you know, if I have someone where is in, you know, the first Terminator movie, it's just like, if they know it, they know it and good to go. Maybe they should see it because of what it is for cinema and how it's such a good kind of restrained action, horror, sci-fi type of thing. But this, I would be interested in, you know, if someone, um, like we said, which we wouldn't do for the Amanda show, but I think this is a little easier of a topic. If someone says, oh, I love Terminator 2, like that's such a great action movie, it might be worthwhile to have them sit down and we watch it and we kind of get the sense for, you know, what, like look at that human aspect, look at that emotional connection that they're trying to build through the to the Terminator. You know, did you remember that type of thing? So I think that I'm I'm leaning towards yes for late night movie as that exact reason in that kind of rewatchability light. I'm going to say no okay. as a late night movie because I think a to find someone who's never seen this movie would be next to impossible. That is a good point. <laughs> and, and anybody who would want to rewatch it, I don't know. I I, I can't see rewatching this. This would be something that I'd probably want to watch by myself, like years down the line, without like somebody yeah. making comments. Um, yeah, I'm I would have to find someone just like me who watched it a, a lot as a younger person and then forgot about it for years. Kind of, it would be that very niche kind of thing. Because you're absolutely right. Everybody I know who loves this movie and talks about it, they've rewatched it way more than I have. And like you said, you know, you know the beats, you know the the scenes and the shots and stuff like that. And in that case, absolutely, it's it's not worth it. Yeah, I, I think too that like with movies that are very personal to me. I am very anal retentive. I don't like sharing things like that. Oh, fair, so I think fair. I think I would be, except for something like this, and this is being more done to kind of help Terminator Dark Fate in my own little weird way. With mm-hmm. all like, maybe we'll get one of our three listeners, or I'm sorry, anywhere from three to fourteen. 
yeah. potential <laughs> listeners. Maybe we'll be able to sit there, get one of them to go see Terminator Dark Fate. Because I do love the series. But this is one of those ones where I'd be very hard-pressed to ever watch this with someone. This, exactly. is, this is a very personal film. And I would kind of like... I Not that I keep it to myself, because again, everybody knows Terminator 2. But I'd be very hard-pressed if someone ever came to like, let's watch Terminator 2. And I'd be like, no. I'm like, there's, there's more interesting. I'm like, I, haven't you already seen that enough? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that would be, I would say, a firm no for me in the late night movie, movie okay. category. Right on, right on. Um, I, Cinemodities is the one I think I'm, I'm torn on. Just like last week, I was torn on the Cinemodities of this. Uh, I'm torn for this week because I want to say no, because Jimmy C having, you know, emotional <laughs> connections between characters is not cinematically odd. That's just kind of what we know from him. But at the same time, it is intriguing to me to have such a an interesting, I think I mentioned it briefly at the start of this conversation, I am intrigued by the concept of, you know, let's take a sequel and put our characters in these weird positions, like, oh, uh, Sarah Connor's in a mental institution, being taken care of by the doctor who wanted to, you know, make a career out of Kyle Reese, but he's dead, so he's hopefully making a career out of her now. And John Connor's older, and, you know, he doesn't like his mother at the start. Like, I'm really intrigued by the setup, but then the tone of it just is so drastically different from the first Terminator movie. And honestly, how I had come to think about Terminator movies, that that's kind of where I'm leaning yes. But I think I'm still on the fence. So I'll throw it over to you, Zach. What are your thoughts on Cinemodities for this one? Uh, it, it has some elements, you could say, like Cinemodities. Um, but I, I think anytime I try looking at this under like the lens of like, oh, what aspects are Cinemodities elements? I can't help but feel like, oh, this is just Jimmy C with his normal kind of just like slick manipulation yeah. of the audience yeah I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing because even like the whole idea like oh you have an entire generation of of moviegoers that were smitten with arnold schwarzenegger as the term as the good guy terminator mm-hmm. and it's like that's yes that's that's a, um an accomplishment but i don't think it's cinematis worthy it's nothing bizarre it's nothing odd about it just because something is done very well doesn't make it odd it's yes. not like in this, like, like I've said before, like Total Recall. It's like, and mm-hmm. it's also, it, this is also in the same vein as Total Recall, too, where it's like it's too popular, it's too ubiquitous, it's not weird enough. Um, but at the same time, though, it's not like an Avengers Infinity War Endgame, where it's like all this stuff makes no sense at all. Like a talking raccoon, a tree man, you have all this stuff, and it ends up being the highest grossing movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why like movies like Titanic resonate with people, Avatar resonate with people, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, ET. I get why all these things resonate with people, and that also goes with why like the Terminator thing, like the, like the relationship between Terminator, I'm sorry, the Terminator and John Connor is very similar to like a dog or a boy and his dog, yes. very like ET and Elliot. I get why that works, but. It's not, it's there. There's really, you know, Terminator 2 is a fantastic action film. It's a classic. It's a hallmark of cinema. I don't see it as a cinemati really in any genuine sense. Okay. I, that, that is exactly, you reminded me of a great thing, you know, just because it's, it's well done because people like it, you know, that, that is one of the things we've said, you know, makes it not a cinemati. And I think that, that affirms it for me. I'm going to say no as well. Because of those reasons and, you know, how popular this is, how much love it gets, like the same thing, even you said with Late Night, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that's never seen this movie type of thing, or at least, you know, has some preconceived notion of it, you know, whether or not they saw it uh, a bunch or a few times when they were younger. So, yeah, I'll go, I'll go with no. Makes sense. Yeah. 
Because that's the difference. Because someone will be like, well, how can you pick Avengers Endgame, even though it's so popular? And then something like this was like just as ubiquitous in the summer of 91. And it's like Avengers Endgame is like so inexplicable because on paper it makes no sense. Trying to explain it after you've seen it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And you have the follow-up to like a 45-film saga somehow be the highest-grossing film of all time. Like yeah. that's another thing. That's another element of Endgame that like people again you it has to be a pre even as much as I again I still have no problem with Endgame. I think it's 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 fine. It's it's incredibly dumb, but it's fine at the end of the day. Um, it's that it's like the forty fifth film in that saga. Like no other highest grossing film of all time ever had that sort of baggage. Exactly. Avatar didn't have that baggage. Titanic, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, Jaws, uh, The Exorcist, The Godfather. Uh, Gone with the Wind. Um, none of those films ever had the amount of like baggage of like, oh, if you have like imagine seeing Endgame without seeing any of the other Marvel films. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is that like? Yeah. Like what what is that like as an experience? And oh, that's actually a really good idea for like like a a a, a, a an episode of Cinemodies. Watching Avengers Endgame, we have to find someone who's never seen any Marvel movie and give them just Endgame. And yeah, that would think. be interesting. Yeah, and that goes like, on like uh, with what I was saying earlier with this, the first Terminator, you know, even Star Wars, which I mentioned. Like, I would love to see some of these movies without these preconceived notions I have, whether it be from seeing the films or the cultural of osmosis of other people talking about them. That's a, a really interesting experiment. That's a, that's a good idea. Okay, we have, to, we have to talk about that off mic because I might have an idea. I, I might know someone who we can, we can actually do that too. Okay, good, good. As <laughs> no, long I, as we know somebody, because we you know whenever you say things like this to me, it's like, okay, we need a baby. We need to control this baby's life from birth until whenever we can show him this, and then you get into you know the the uh, the anti moral stuff in science and research. <laughs> I like the idea of the high phrase. Not someone we can do that with. Do that too. Yeah. yeah. We're true scientists over here. We do things to people, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then we right. take things from them. <laughs> all right, Rob. Um, snack. Snack, yes. So, um, you know, every Zach and I have been running this Cinemodities restaurant for a long, long time. We figured, you know, after every week we'd have our, our meetings together to, to work on the restaurant. And eventually we figured it was boring just talking to each other about the restaurant. And that's why we started this podcast to some extent. Every week we can talk about our plans for the restaurant in the guise of some film. I only had one snack this week, Zach. This movie wasn't very snack heavy for me, but I, I actually really like it. I think you're going to dig it too. Maybe it's one you have, so I hope I don't take it from you. My idea is based on the Terminator CPU, uh, the processor chip. Okay. And whenever they show the processor chip, whether it be the broken version or the full version in Arnold's head, the first thing it made me think of was a chocolate bar. So <laughs> I, I, you know, like the little, it's like the oh, little yeah. squares you break out. Yeah. Of course. So I was thinking we would have like the Cyberdyne Systems chocolate squares, and it would be a, it would be a chocolate bar, but it would be in the shape of the Terminator's processor chip. And okay. shockingly, are you ready, Zach? Oh. That's it. It's just chocolate. <laughs> oh, really? So, yeah, I don't want to. I was toying around with, like, maybe we put, like, an actual processor in the middle. So it's, like, if you bite into it, you get you bite into, like, a computer chip or something. But I was thinking, like, as, as you know, it's good to have the, the food items that will hurt our customers. But it's also good to have the ones that just kind of work out, right? I think you pitched once just a cheeseburger. I think yes. it's called something weird, but it's just a cheeseburger. 
Um, I think there is some way that if you order things and, and order it the right way on our menu, you can get a legitimate salad, like not one with confetti or anything, but an actual salad. So I was thinking in terms of a dessert, just a nice, regular, very small, you know, because it looks like one of these chips, Cyberdyne Systems Chocolate Squares. What do you think? I like it. And it, and it looks cool, you know, and you can, you can break it apart. You can, uh, you can share it with the other people at your table. You could take out a real Terminator's processor chip and put in the chocolate one to shut them down. You know, all that type of stuff. It's got multiple uses. I wonder, this is the first time Rob has ever suggested a genuine edible item for the restaurant? <laughs> I think I did a drink once. That oh, was, drink. That okay. was decent, yes. Not if it was perfectly edible, but it was definitely on the fringes of edible. <laughs> okay. Well, I've got three items. For all this. right, here we go. All right. First, I'm going with the lowest of the low-hanging fruit. Do you want some of my fries? Fries. <laughs> okay. You okay. Or, it's it's a, basically it is edible. There's no trick here. It's an order of fries, but you're not allowed to eat them. You order them and you have to offer it to everybody else at the table. Okay. Okay. Mm, so interesting. When you or, so when you order them, you have to say, "Do you want some of my fries?" Okay. Okay. Can you get them with ketchup already on them? Yes, but you can't have it though. <laughs> You still can't have it. Okay, okay. No, you have to offer them. You get them, and you have to offer them to somebody else. They come ah. with a rule. So, so, so if there was, like, say, two people at a table, a uh, party of two, and they both want French fries, say just French fries. For the, I'm sure we have French fries somewhere as a side, but, sure. you know, say they just want French fries. They would both need to order the do you want some fries, but they would be ordering it for the other person, technically. Exactly. Oh, that's I like that adds some because now for for bigger parties, you you're you're adding some like level of complexity to how they need to order so everybody can taste all the foods. I dig it. It's like a strategy game. There's rules, goddamn it. Yes. <laughs> okay, I get behind that and for if sure. You, if you eat any of those French fries, you don't get the bump of cocaine and the freak DVD on your way out. Oh, that's perfect. That's one of the rules that we can put into our customer uh, terms of service agreement, that they, they can't eat the do you want some fries fries. They have to give them to everybody else. Perfect. All right, next thing. <laughs> yeah, we recommend bringing a lawyer with you when you come to the Cinemodities <laughs> restaurant for the first time, just to make sure you're safe. <laughs> um, next thing, I want a mural in the restaurant. Ooh, Okay. And I want the mural to be the utopian future of the alternate ending of Terminator 2 <laughs> with the Washington Monument, the Capitol building, and like the mixed like cultural yeah. utopia. Okay. <laughs> and under it, there's a little plaque with the inscription that says the internet phrase LMAO. And it says 2029. <laughs> That's what it says. I like that. I, I can dig that for sure. <laughs> and if we can get the original matte painting from the film, all the better. Yeah, that would be great. That would be awesome to have that somewhere. Do we have any other murals or anything like that? Do you I don't. Remember? Well, we have so many stage shows. It's kind of hard to uh, position them around. We have. I mean, we might yeah. have murals behind the stage shows, but most of them aren't evident to the public or to the patrons of the restaurant. Didn't I say so? It's been. I, I've only. I haven't even listened to it ever. I've just recorded it in the elves <laughs> episode that never has been released. Don't I say I want like a portrait of Bunce McGavin or something like? Not, I don't remember if it was in the restaurant. I think it was like in my office in the restaurant or something <laughs> like that. I vaguely remember a picture of Bunce McGavin. 
Dan months, Haggerty for everybody. <laughs> speaking of, okay, answer your question. Um, eight months later, I'm still editing the episode, and I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> okay. And two, I was doing a, uh, on for Microsoft Rewards, I was doing a service today. I'm sorry, a survey. And one of the questions was, this actor played Patch Adams. I'm sorry, this Adam uh, played Grizzly Adams. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, it had all it had three actors. And I'm like, where's Bunce McGavin? <laughs> Well, who the hell is this Dan Haggerty? It's Bunce McGavin. Yes. <laughs> I will never. Okay, and it's funny. Like, Rob's dying right now. And people, our audience still doesn't know. We make all these inside jokes from this one episode that we've never released. Um, it's so good. That movie is so goddamn good. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Um, it's, it's almost as incomprehensible as Mortal. Almost. Not as incomprehensible, but it's pretty close. <laughs> um, to Mortal Engines and Tomorrowland, but yes, I, you will. Ne- anytime you see Dan Haggerty, I want you to cross out that name and replace it with Bunce McGavin. Yes, <laughs> there is no Dan Haggerty. He is Bunce McGavin. Oh my God, I, I can't wait. I love that we keep making these jokes, and I can't wait till one day the Elves episode will finally come out, and the the reason why we call him Bunce McGavin will be revealed. I don't want. That's one of the things I don't want to give away because it's so basic. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Another fun thing that might be our first like really like uh, avant-garde episode where we re- re-record a whole new episode of that like a year from now and we play both like over each other. So oh. you have to listen to both reviews at the like you can't make out a thing. It's almost as bad as the two thousands commercials episode. Um, <laughs> but like, we play both, or we maybe play one in reverse, one backwards. It'll be it'll be great. Oh, I dig it. Yeah, and they're gonna meet up at certain places, that type of thing. <laughs> oh yeah, and somehow they'll both be the same length of time too. All, yeah, it's going to be, um, they're all going to, re- like, every time we say Bunce McGavin, they're going to overlay perfectly with each other. <laughs> and everyone's going to be, oh my god, I couldn't make sense the last 45 minutes of this, but this was perfect. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> all right, god. the third thing for the restaurant. I'm, I, was, I, I got scared for a second when Rob said he only had one thing for the menu. And I, okay. was, I was delighted when he didn't say this. I want, you know, when you go to a restaurant and like, depending on like what you order, sometimes if you get like a greasy dish, they'll put like a piece of like plastic. This is more for like fast food restaurants and like quick service. They'll yeah. like have like a little piece of plastic with the logo of the restaurant on it mm. or something. Like Dairy Queen has this, places like that. We're going to have, for every item we serve, a dish on a plate and for cups, we're going to have them have Subway. Oh, <laughs> I did notice that in the subway cups in that in in those those few scenes. Okay, I dig oh, it. Because yes. <laughs> folks, there's a part of this that we didn't discuss that I deliberately was holding back on, praying that Rob wouldn't mention it. Was that there are two blatant instances of product placement that yep. they're not jarring, but once you notice them, you're like Jimmy C. Like touts himself as this like I don't want to say highbrow, but kind of like this filmmaker that just he knows more than everybody else combined. Mm-hmm. Yet yeah. somehow Subway went to him and like, Jimmy C, we will give you money for your movie if you put have two little girls hold Subway cups. And when Sarah Connor's being questioned into relation of the Terminator incident at the mall, we're going to have Terminator cups and a wrapper to, the sa- to a sandwich on the table. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It's it was definitely so crazy. Yeah. And I'm surprised when they go to like that like roadside like cafe that it wasn't the Subway. Yeah, that's a good point. I think by the, that when I get, got to that point in the movie, I forgot about it. But you're right. Yeah, just pump it in there because it is like that is true product placement. Because the subway yep. does not matter to the story. You know, it's like every time I think of product placement and like you know product placement, the commercialism version. But like just using products in movies, I always think of Blue Velvet. 
because that's like they're screaming about PBR and Heineken for a reason, you know? What kind of beer do you like? Heineken. Heineken? Fuck that shit! Pabst Blue Ribbon! Mm-hmm. It's like that ad that adds to those characters and why they're so like d- distant from each other. Um, but this, it's like it doesn't matter. It's never mentioned. It could be anything. That is just pure product placement. And you're right. It is really strange to see that in in a Jimmy C movie. Yeah. Yep. And the fact that you can know it's product placement too is that the two little girls are holding cups and the logo is facing the camera (laughs) and the two cups on the table in the questioning scene, the logos are facing the camera and the little plastic wrapper has like dozens of Subway logos on it. It's inescapable once you notice it. Yeah, and that's yep. and that's what we're doing for the restaurant. We're going to give out everything with Subway wrappers, and people will be like, "Where where'd you get these from?" And it's like we found an abandoned Subway, and we saw a giant stack of them, and we took them all. Perfect. Yeah, I get behind that for sure. <laughs> it's one of the more inexplicable elements of the uh, Cinemati's restaurant. Yeah, that's I like that idea. Actually, it's like you know you go and like there's certain they're not. It's like that weird. They're right in between like sitting down diner re- dining restaurants and fast food. There's like some places you can go. Like I know they have a one out here in Colorado. It's called like Dickie's Barbecue Pit or something, and it's like a blend between these things. But they like let you keep the cups type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I would I love the idea if we could go to a Cinemati's restaurant and it's like oh yeah you can keep the cup that you get and you think it's going to be like a, a cup promoting the Cinemati's restaurant but it's just a Subway cup <laughs> like with the yellow or the green whatever color their lids are and everything you know. <laughs> And we and we and we get them from like abandoned, shut down subways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We I would definitely want like them. the. I would definitely want like some old ones, like the vintage logos and you know all the oh, minor yeah. changes and the the different because now their colors are a lot more bright. They used to be more muted, I think. So mm-hmm. yeah, only only the old school stuff. Oh yeah. But that that fits perfectly with our um Kansas nineteen eighty four tab from last there week. There we go. See, yeah. it's all connected, folks. <laughs> oh, now I'm just imagining you get like. A waiter, you know, has the the silver tray, and there's just two things on the tray: an empty subway soda cup <laughs> and a and a closed can of tab. And then he's like, he puts it down on the table, and he's like, "Your tab, sir." And he opens it and pours it into the subway cup. <laughs> and the guy tastes it, and he's like, mm, "Perfect. We'll take the bottle." <laughs> like we have a we have a tab sommelier, basically. <laughs> Oh my god! We agreed right last week that was the old tab. It wasn't the new tab. Yes, it has to be the old tab. Yep. All right, good. That it for Terminator Two Judgment Day? Yeah, I, I think so. I guess um, you know, not surprisingly, we're we're keeping it going with Terminator Three next week. I'm I'm once again excited to watch that one. Now, I think that's the one I remember the most about. Um, but I have some stories Talk with it. Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand. Yep. I remember. I think I mentioned last week that I saw that in theaters with my dad. I think that's the only time I've seen it. Um, I had some very specific feelings about the ending when I was younger. We'll get into that story. Um, so yeah, should be good. Um, and then I guess we only have to talk about how we're going to end this episode. Are we doing the, um, the, the crunchier, more punched up version of the Terminator theme we get in T2? I think so. The more stingy version. Yeah, yeah, exactly. St- sting rather than theme. Perfect. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's play it out. <laughs> 